ladies and gentlemen, pour yourself a nice old-fashioned. I'm Richard Barton. And I am Brian Gill. And this is Mad About Movies. You sound insane. You realize that? All things concerning the world of cinema. We discuss movie news, movie rumors, and those ever important movie rumblings, and then we break it on down for our chosen movie of the week. Fret not, spoiler phobes, because we will give you plenty of warning before we head into that dreaded spoiler. Brian, this week's chosen movie of the week is what? This week we're giving you a bonus episode talking about Mad Men. So uh, light a cigarette, pour yourself a scotch, or a, a virgin scotch, if you will, and uh, we're going we're gonna to talk Mad Men, me and my buddy Richard. Is there virgin scotch? Is it like I all- have no idea. Okay. Probably not. Yeah. That's okay. Um, yeah. Hey, so different feel on this episode yeah right? yeah it's let's, just let's you and apologize me. up front yeah uh, so or or take a lot of credit up front one yeah. way or the other so a little inside baseball uh on the mad about movies podcast for those of you who are uh, relatively new or just don't never really investigate it we get a lot of emails onto as to how this show is produced um uh, we got a couple this week asking like where we record when we record so uh, I think we could pull back the curtain here yeah. a little bit. So we record remotely most of the time. We do live shows together, and we try to do really big episodes together uh, for you know really huge uh, movies right. or year-end review, re- year-end results, things like that. Or any Melissa McCarthy. Yeah, absolutely, because we have to see the the shame in each other's eyes. <laughs> but uh, so we record these mostly mostly remotely through the wonders of the of the internet. Um, but you know, on occasion, I will record in person. But that's not normally the case. Uh, so what I mean by we, when we record remotely, uh, it it goes a little something like this: Brian and I plug a microphone into our computers and stop <laughs> me when I'm wrong. Yep. So far, so good. And then we get a, a essentially a Skype call. Yeah. And then you and I start talking. That is uh-huh. our involvement yeah. with the production of this show. Yeah. Uh, Kent runs our board. He does the editing. After we we pretty much keep it uh, keep it uh, live. It's got pretty much everything we say ends up in the episode. But sometimes we got to do a little editing. Uh, when I just start screaming the N-word, which happens, <laughs> well, quite frankly, more often than I'd care to admit. But it's I'm working on it. No, but we do a few uh, edits a year, or I mean an episode. But So this is why you've never heard just Brian and I, because we are right. both completely incompetent when it comes yeah. to actually producing these episodes. Kent does everything. He does everything. And so uh, and we, we thank and love him for it. He's a, he is a savant when it comes to editing of any type especially and he's a very creative wonderful uh person so that being said kent is not involved with this show anymore we've let him go. <laughs> yeah we figured we can do this. <laughs> we got it's... it no not at all kent is sitting this episode out because uh he's he's hasn't seen all of mad men yet so it's just gonna be brian and i uh and we are giving this a go i'm actually running the board here on my end 
and, and then I'll be <laughs> immediately sending this to Ken for him to edit <laughs> because I, I, there's no way I can do that. But I can yeah. try to capture it the best I can. So if this episode sounds weird or it's us yeah it's, it's us. our fault completely our fault and you know just the next just, episode will sound fine it will so don't quit but if this it. goes well uh we will retroactively <laughs> do an episode over the nba draft lottery tonight just yeah <laughs> absolutely this is a very dangerous proposition now that brian and i can now podcast because <laughs> there are myriad and, and sundry things that we could you know, if you want to hear episodes about like like Brian said, the aforementioned draft lottery, yeah, uh, random old Boy Meets World episodes are now in play. <laughs> yeah, what else? We uh we might do an entire episode over former Maverick great Eric Strickland. Yeah, if we're, yeah, if we're that's a good I mean, one. I think if this goes well, uh, Guy Fieri and Rachel Ray's Kids Cook Off <laughs> season yeah. three now yeah. definitely in play. We'll probably Absolutely. do that instead of Mission Impossible Five. I'd imagine <laughs> that's right. More House Hunters episodes. Yeah. A lot of House Hunters episodes. Yeah. Brian and I actually have a side business where people pay us just to come and watch House Hunters with them, and no one breaks down HGTV quite like us. But speaking right. of TV, Brian, you know one of the great. See what I'm getting? Pretty nice segue yeah. there, buddy. Yeah. Uh, speaking of television, uh, you know, end of an era for Dude. I know one of the t- favorite television shows of of uh, of ours. So it's yeah. uh, it was tough. It was tough, and it, look, I think we should just put it out there straight away. We're we're gonna we're gonna t- talk about the finale a little bit. I think more than anything, we're gonna talk about just the show in general. Mm-hmm. If you have not seen Mad Men and you're afraid of, uh, well, hey, if you haven't seen Mad Men, this is probably not gonna be an enjoyable episode <laughs> <Yeah>. for <laughs> yeah. you. Uh, but but B, uh, if you've got some catching up to do, like our good friend Kent does. I would say uh, just set this one aside for a while until you've finished it out, and uh, and that way we don't have to worry about spoiling anything for you. Uh, we are going to break it down fairly in depth, I think, but more we're going to just talk about just the, the the overall impact. We might do some of our favorite episodes and that kind of thing, but uh, just just want to give you guys the heads up right right away. Yes, thank you. And so uh, I I I will talk quickly, uh, Brian, about <clears throat> how this show kind of came into your life, your initial yeah. thoughts. Let's talk about those first two seasons because a lot okay. of people talk about you know the show how the show changed over time and that's certainly true but it's it's thought of as it was this kind of this original show mm-hmm. I'm interested in your thoughts on this it's this original show the original first two seasons I, I would say of Mad Men and then it grows into this other thing that kind of becomes in a weird way this odd canon for that era of time in the 60s yeah that's fair but I think people it's interpreted or at least in a lot of the reviews and things I've seen and read that it is Mad Men, the original show, and then it evolved into something else. But I kind of think those first two seasons are kind of the something else. Like the show's feel at its truest or it's kind of the, the last, you know, five seasons. Um, I agree with that. The first two kind of serve as a weird, uh, they're just kind of different tonally. Um, and it's almost a prologue to kind of catch you up to speed on, on, Hey, not just 1960 and 61, but what those years really represented were essentially right. the 50s, right? And so these first two seasons, the style, the look, the aesthetic of the show, mm-hmm. the attitudes of a lot of the characters, which are really quite like meaner than they yeah. grow to be. And then you kind of watch the 60s soften them and grow them and all that. So, I, yeah, so I've just gone on for seven minutes, but I would yeah. love to hear your thoughts sort of on the, the feel of the show and how it how that spectrum has changed over not only seven, eight years of the show, but I suppose the 11 years that the show takes place in. Sure. So I started watching 
I can't remember exactly. I know I bought the first three seasons on DVD before I'd watched them. Like, uh, I think I got them at Best Buy on Black Friday or something. Okay. And then I, so I think I was, I was catching up on the show while season four was taking place or maybe is there's, I think there's a break between, was it between three and four that there's a long break or it's four and five? It's safe to say yes because there's almost always a long yeah. break. But I think well, there was one that was like 18 months. Yeah. I can't remember sure. which one it was. But I think I was catching up during that during that break. So I watched at least the first three seasons back to back to back. And, uh, and so I got to see it very quickly go from – that first season's kind of slow. The whole show is kind of slow. Let's be honest. It's yeah. not a, a fast-paced – type of show but the first season especially i think you can tell that uh matt weiner and the cast they're all fantastic and i think now especially going back and looking at those early episodes you can see what they're building towards uh but at the time i think it it definitely feels like they're kind of getting their foot it's like a very very prolonged uh prologue to the actual show i think and uh I always tell people that I know a lot of people that haven't been able to get into Mad Men and they'll, they'll come back and say, man, I just can't watch this. I can't get into it. And I always tell everybody, you've, you've got to, you've got to give it a full season uh, because it, it takes a while for that. It, it takes a while to kind of digest what's happening on the screen. Sure. And the last episode of season one is just such a spectacular. We'll talk more about it in a, in a little bit. I, I know for a fact, but I think that's where the show – it's not that that's where it takes off. I think that's where it just really – it like finds itself and no, and finds a groove mm-hmm. to uh, to get into. Season three is a marked leap forward to me and uh, and it goes, it goes strongly from there. I think season six is the weakest of, mm-hmm. of the show's run, including season one. I, I just don't – especially like going back and kind of uh, – getting prepared for this episode season six was the one that had the least number of episodes that I was like, Oh yeah, like that's a great, great moment or a great episode or whatever. Um, it just took a little bit of time off. It just, I don't know. They, they were kind of stuck with their characters. I think a little bit in season six. And I also think there's part of that was Weiner wanting to show, uh, <sighs> we talked about this a little bit with breaking bad, but I think Weiner, in that instant in season six was like kind of disgusted with his own characters and wanted to show how awful they are and, uh, and did that quite well. Um, but anyway, the first three seasons, when you watch them back to back to back, uh, I think you really get a feel for it's building something big. And I think there's a payoff for that four or five and a little bit of a dip in six, but then back into, uh, the split season seven, uh, so I would agree with your your thesis that one and two are the outliers, are the different type seasons than the other way around. Sure. Uh, I think I think you're I think you're right on that. So let's talk about season one. So mm-hmm. season one begins. The, the pilot is essentially uh, a, a the gag on the pilot is look at this guy, look how awesome he is, look at this world, look how different different it is, and he's married. Right. <laughs> um, so. Uh, that's sort of the gag on the pilot, and you're it's a great, it's one of the best pilots ever, and it's yeah, it's so um, and not even to a fault. It's just no other way to put it. It's so overwritten in a way that it's like so self. Um, inco- it's 
like a student film in a weird way. Like it just exists in itself. You sure. can tell it was written seven years before. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I think this. I think the story is the spec on Mad Men. He the the pilot he wrote on Mad Men is what got him the gig at The Sopranos. That's right. Yeah. So and it had been so. So this pilot was sitting in his desk for uh, many years before it actually got to production. Yes, and so you have um, you have. You have Matt Weiner who who makes this. It goes to HBO. It's it's going to be the next uh, great great HBO drama uh, after Sopranos. Yeah. Or I guess uh, was Sopranos maybe maybe Sopranos may still be have a season left. Was there any crossover there? There was not. They, there was not. Well, they filmed. Uh, I want to say I read this the other day. I read a big history of the of the show, but I want to say they filmed. The first episode before, while they were still doing the end of uh, the end of the Sopranos, but but they weren't on the air at the same time. Or okay, like that. yeah, I know the crossovers pretty quickly, so they're pretty yeah. quick. Like you know, you're planning, hey, Sopranos is coming to an end at the very least, or has ended, and uh, this is going to be our next show, and then it, it sort of falls apart, and it leads to this for HBO uh, intensive purposes, this kind of dark period at HBO, right from their perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, which lasted like two and a half years, and then they, right. Yeah, they got it back together pretty well. But they tend to do that. So uh, this fledgling network, AMC, picks up the pilot because they. I think Mad Men is the first original program. It is, AMC. yeah. So they say we want to get in the original business, and this is the sh- we're going to go with this Matt Weiner guy and his, pardon me, trusty crew. And so that is the kind of the story of the inception of Mad Men. So Mad Men starts in this this, in you know, oh gosh heavenly character don draper it's so don <laughs> draper right you know it's this character yeah. that you just can't take your eyes off of you haven't seen i mean it's Cary grant all of a sudden who is this person you know both from john ham and and don draper and the pilot is very much centered around just uh fawning all over this <laughs> it sets yes it sets you up as an audience wonderfully as to how the rest of the world within mad men feels about this character right. better than any other time in the show and it it very very much for the first forty minutes or so it shows you the best of Don Draper yeah. in so many ways you know uh, as I was rewatching it this last week you know he's very very kind almost to yeah. like the, uh, the the attendant at the club that he's at uh, who is a is a black guy and clearly is discriminated against he's very nice to him yeah. and asks him questions and all this stuff and you get a sense of what it's like to be in a meeting with Don Draper and he gets that pitch going and it's, it's all fantastic. And it's the only time in the show you're baggage free on Don Draper. Yes. Yes. And then by the end of the episode, he's sleeping with his mistress and, uh, and then you realize that it is his mistress when they take him home to his, his wife and kids. And it's like, Oh, so this guy's not uh, the best person. Like we were kind of led to believe in that first 30 or 40 minutes. So after the pilot, the show goes from that. You know, that's the first revelation of Don Draper. And then kind of slowly it starts pulling us into, whoa, there's a lot, you know, this is, there's a lot more revelations to be had. Mm-hmm. This guy isn't, isn't was he, what he seems. So, uh, so the, the kind of mid-season one, it, it goes through, through that pace, piece, you know, with, with his kind of questionable background. He gets a visitor from his past, right? That's season one, correct? With yes. the brother? Yep. Adam uh, Adam shows up in episode five, I think, of okay. that season. So Don Draper's brother shows up, and he's calling him by a different name, and it's very disorienting. Right. Um, 
and then you you come to realize that 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 Mr. Draper has been in the Korean War and essentially stolen the man's dog, dog tags and identity in order to get right. home sooner. And he has assumed this man's identity, which raises many questions, like wouldn't this guy's family notice and things like that, which will we will answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, or talk about in a minute, and then it all culminates season one with uh, arguably the best, certainly maybe the best moment on the show, and maybe the best overall episode in the sure. wheel. And I know that the wheel has a lot of uh, meaning to you, Brian. So why don't you talk about that episode? Yeah, I think uh, I think it starts actually in the episode before that, which is Nixon Kennedy. When I think I think when I uh, you may have felt differently, but when I was watching the show, I'm coming from a perspective of Something like Lost, which led us on the on a wild goose chase for the entire the entirety of its six seasons, and uh, and I'm watching Mad Men, and there's a lot of this kind of mystery of like, is he going to get caught? Is it gonna? Is this going to come to a head? Because Pete's after him hard to uh, to bust him on his real identity, and I think the show really showed what it was going to be about in the episode before the wheel when Pete brings all this evidence to uh to Burt Cooper and Cooper just says who cares like this doesn't I don't care about this he's the best ad man in the business that's all I give a crap about you know and so that I think that is what sets the show on its next set of legs you know we've got through this like kind of this mystery box sort of element that uh, I think a lot of other shows would have dragged on for another three or four yeah. or five years. And instead, it's not that they completely shut that away because we definitely get other glimpses of of Dawn's life uh, prior to mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. But it's not the driving force behind the show. And I think that's a credit to Matt Weiner because I think in a lot of other hands that would have been – four seasons of drawn out mystery and, and instead we end it in like five episodes that, uh number one and number two uh, and this is a little bit of spoiler alert if you haven't seen the finale or last season yet but it never really matters yes it never comes back around to matter that it's this weird lurking piece throughout the story yeah of, there's always some way that p- someone could find out right and they they really right. tease it on the penultimate episode of you know don in the in the veterans hall you mm-hmm. know being grilled yep. about his time in korea and you're like oh gosh you know and then these guys come in to beat him up and it turns out they just think he stole money right you know it never matters no one ever i mean uh as the show goes on betty finds out uh yeah. and you know he tells various people some kind of cryptic you know i'm not who you think i am but other than that uh you know it really never matters and yeah. it's interesting to say i think i believe it's the season six finale maybe the season mm-hmm. five finale yep. season which, six season yep. six finale when uh which i th- i believe was the original idea for the ending when when weiner says he had the idea for the ending of the show it turns out i from what i hear it's that ending it wasn't okay. this this all of season seven's part one and two were were kind of a, a an epilogue so to speak but of don kind of sh- pulling up to the uh whorehouse and saying yep. you know to his daughter this is this is where i grew up yeah but that's as much as his kids really ever find out that he right. just grew up poor. That's all there. Uh, so it is interesting. It's this lurking subplot. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, much like Burke Cooper says, who cares? Yeah, it's a great <laughs> hook for season one, especially when the rest of your show is focused. It's a period piece and not a particularly appealing period in a lot of ways, at least as far as uh, 
social climate goes, yeah. uh, it's a great hook to keep viewers interested and bring you into this world and, and to kind of suck you in until you you realize you don't care about that so much as you care about the actual world, which mm-hmm. is which is really great. But uh, yeah, season so season one season one culminates in the wheel, and uh, that for me again is the that's the moment when I was like, this show is not only do not only is this show great, it's a show that I am going to love and I'm going to be locked in on for the rest of its its run because you I think it in some ways I don't know whether it's the best episode of the show or not we may debate that in a little bit but um I think it serves at least for those first 3 or 4 seasons as the probably 3 seasons as the it's kind of like the defining episode in a lot of ways and it's it's madmen in a in a microcosm because you have this entire episode where Don's worlds are colliding uh, between his – he's so successful in business, but he's so unsuccessful as a, mm. as a parent and as a husband, and he can't reconcile those things. And you're seeing uh, – which we'll get much more of, but you're seeing Don Draper fluctuating between the two or three or four different people that he is and not completely able to control any of them. And uh, it all kind of culminates in everything at home is just a complete disaster, and yet he uses his home life and the slides that he has from his, you know, his his younger days as a as a as a father to create, I think, the best pitch that they ever did on the show, and to sell this uh, this slide carousel, which is just. I remember watching the episode and thinking, I got to go out and buy a slide projector. Yeah. Like this is, uh, you know, I think that technology almost every is, day, though. <laughs> yeah, a huge fan. Yeah. This technology has been bypassed 37 times over, but it was such a great pitch and it's so compelling. I, I rewatched, I rewatched it this week and I still get goosebumps every time I watch it. Cause it's just such, it's so well done and mm. it's just such an interesting episode. And, and so that's the one I always tell people, if you get through the wheel and you're not hooked, you can quit because it's not going to be a show that's going to work for you. I don't yeah. think, uh, but if, if you're not sure about it, give it to the wheel and then, uh, you can make that kind of decision. Yeah. And then, uh, so that's how season, season one ends with, with you're a hundred percent in on Draper. You hate Pete Campbell. Mm-hmm. And so on and so forth. So season two, which is actually my probably biggest struggle point with the show, in that uh, a lot of Peggy and Colin Hanks. Mm-hmm. Yep, I forgot about Colin Hanks until I was kind of redoing kind of odd, at some of this stuff. Uh, priest figure. A lot mm-hmm. of Betty at the horse farm, which was yep. it seems like Betty was at the horse farm for like seven episodes continuously. Yeah, and then. Once I got through that initial hump of, say, the first seven of season two, that's when the show takes off for me. That yeah. was the only time I remember really slogging. Sure. Was that kind of four-episode thing. But it's, uh, it's again, we it was, season two really focuses on the, the growing divide between Don and his wife. Yep. Uh, and, and his family life. Uh, and he kind of starts experiencing the first professional hiccup. So, you know, his personal life starts uh, kind of creeping into his professional life. And you really got, you really begin to see the, the dichotomy and, and kind of paradox that he is living, mm-hmm. uh, as he, as he essentially is, is hiding in plain sight and, and, and running and having multiple affairs and is probably an alcoholic and is, you know, in the most crucial career months and years of his career. 
uh it's it's a really right how much can you stress can you throw it at one person a lot of it's self-inflicted yeah. so uh yeah so so i'll stop talking what season two yeah i know you're right i i think season two season two you're, you're probably right i think season six is the worst season but i think season two is the most is the toughest to slog through like yeah. you like you said uh it just there's just a lot it's all very okay <laughs> yeah you know but the, it just kind of plateaus for the most part there's a there's a few highs uh i'm looking through the episodes maiden form which is episode six is pretty good you have don and duck trying to kind of get their stuff together um peggy is starting to progress her career and try and and more than that she's learning what that's going to mean for her um you get some interesting stuff there with like i think one of the better moments in the show uh is duck throwing his dog out of the office because he can't stand that the dog is looking at him while he's drinking, which is like a really compelling and, and sobering moment, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later in season two, we're going to find out that we're, we're going to find out either. I can't remember if we knew, but a Dawn's going to find out that Sal is gay, which was a fairly defining moment. Mm-hmm. I think for, for us, we, we both, you and I, I think we both love Sal Sal's and always great. wish that he would come back. Um, but that was a, a very interesting episode as well. But you're right. There's not a lot of highs through that season. It ends pretty well. The last episode mm-hmm. of season th- two is uh, revolves around the, the Cuban Missile Crisis. And it's, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty interesting episode. But more importantly, I think it just sets the tone for season three, which is where the show really takes off. Yes. So the season three is, as I delicately like to put it, it hits the fan season. Yeah. The first it hits the fan season. Sure. So a lot of things going on in season three, both professionally and personally for Mr. Draper. Let's talk about the professional piece first. So season three sees the addition of uh, the Brits, right? Yes. So we get a, a now a show. I, I always say this about uh, the embarrassment of riches on the show is, is, you know, when you take a show like Curb Your Enthusiasm, uh, which is already just thick with talent comedically and you add Leon in like season six and it just goes <laughs> to another level. Right. Sure. Uh, the, I think a very similar move with Lane, Mr. Lane price, right? You have yes. the show that's so deep with incredible actors, ham, Slatterly, Hendrix, uh, you know, what's, uh, Vincent cast. Yeah. Carthizer, obviously Carthizer. what's Elizabeth Moss, who may be like, uh, you know, I forget her name, but uh, the the, the great, one of the great actresses of her generation, I think. Elizabeth, yeah, that's how high really. I think it was with Moth, but not high enough to remember her name. <laughs> uh, but and then Aaron Rowan and and people whose names I don't even know that are just character names on the show. Right. And then you add Mr. Lane Price. Um, right. And so that character brings in this that character. I think more than any, maybe that character in Pete Campbell. I think more than Draper show Weiner's incredible gift for character writing in that those sure. characters should not, I should not care about Pete Campbell. I should not care about right. Lane Price. You should hate Pete Campbell. Yes. I mean, you should, you should hate him, but not, not the way that you hate Don. You should hate Pete to the point of like, please like die and don't be on the show. Yeah, anymore I think, type of and thing. that's an interesting like, piece of acting too, in that, I think that character is originally written to be that way. Mm-hmm. And something about Carthizer as Swarmy is so good. Yeah. It's he's kind a of like in this actor. Yeah, he's it, great. It, it's a real bummer. Well, there's so many other great actors that kind of take up the yeah. screen, but that guy, 
Yes. He may disappear to Minnesota and never act again, or he may be the one who comes out of this looking the best when it's all said and done. Couple things. First off, great uh, choice in wife. (laughs) Yes. yes. Uh, You can't go wrong with Allison Brie ever. (laughs) Well, on the show, but it, more importantly, he's married to Rory Gilmore, my my first crush. Oh, okay, there you go. Um, but so, no, Campbell. Let's talk about Pete because Pete, I really think, is written as a, a heel. It's it's like in, in in professional wrestling kind of thing where you write a guy as a bad guy, and then you start noticing he's getting bigger ovations than than you know Hulk Hogan, and you go, well, we mm-hmm. should probably make him good now because for some reason people like him. It's kind of what they did with Pete. Like you kind of the character really changes in a weird way. In a lot of ways, in some ways, he doesn't change at all. He's still this kind of rich brat, and and we'll talk about him a lot in at, in in season seven because right. one of the funniest pieces of writing on the show, and and one of the most fearless pieces of writing is what they end up doing with Pete Campbell. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, you start season three is when you really start the show becomes more than Don and. You know, Don being awesome and Roger quipping and ha 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 ha, you we are and wow, Joan's pretty and Betty's pretty. It starts really flushing out with all these characters. Like, oh gosh, I yep. love Pete Cam. I care about yep. Pete. I care. I, you know, I start caring about Betty. You start caring about obviously Peggy becomes Peggy in a lot of ways is the protagonist of Mad Men. You know, sure. Don Draper is the main character, but but the the show really follows Peggy in a lot of ways. Right. Um. And so season three is when they really start to figure that out and things actually really start happening. So, so mm-hmm. Brian, talk a little bit about season three. Yeah, it takes three. out from there. And, and I should clarify, uh, Don finds out about Sal at the very beginning of season one. So I was, oh, okay. I was, uh, I was off a couple oh, episodes there. Well, so let's just stop recording. I know. Let's, let's just over. end this right now. I'll retire. Because I, uh, I can't edit it out. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Thanks a lot, Kent. Um, yeah. So, yes, that's where it really takes off, and you're totally right. Uh, Lane Price is just such a great addition to the show, and it's it's very much like – he's like a mid-season acquisition for yeah. an NBA franchise. Yes. Like, yeah. we're like a two-seed, but if we can just get that yeah. one guy to push us over the top, well, here he is. Uh, Jared Harris yeah, is just a phenomenal contract. actor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, he's a phenomenal actor, and uh, his character is so well-written – and he should be the the most boring person on the show. And instead, you just like every time there was a character arc involving him, I found myself way more locked in than I ever would have imagined early on. You know, uh, he he's a great addition. So season three gets you gets you going with that. It also shows a lot more of Don's falling out at home, and and not just the falling out part, but the ramifications of that. Uh, and you get an even better sense of the lengths to which Don will go to sabotage himself, yeah. uh, including like sleeping with the kid's teacher and a lot of other, I mean, it's just, he, he can't, he, he just, it becomes clear, I think in season three, and maybe that's just, it's very easy to say this in hindsight, but I think in season three, you can kind of get the sense that this is not going to end happily for Don Draper, whatever happens um, I don't think we're ever going to get to a point where we have like a happy tie a tidy bow on it type of ending for him because that's not he's not a character who is ever going to no. be deserving of that in some ways. And, and he shows that over and over again because his brilliance also is what kind of manifests itself in his self-sabotage. And I think season three drives that home really well. He's ultimately uh, 
only an intellect. There's no real soul to Don Draper. Mm-hmm. He's this kind of shell of a person. Right. And right. He's he has empathy. That's what's weird about Don yes. Draper. Yeah. He has empathy, but like no soul. It's weird. He's got a yeah. It, it's a strange thing. Um, throughout the show, uh, and we could probably list a dozen examples, but there are a lot of times where Don Draper goes out of his way to be kind and to be um, much more helpful to somebody than they are getting much more help than they're getting from anyone else. And it's funny because he's in so many ways, he's such an immoral person, but in other ways he's got a code and he is very strict about it. And really, I think lives by that to a, to the letter of the law. It just so happens that that code doesn't involve uh, any ramifications for, for uh, drinking too much or <laughs> sleeping with anything that moves yeah. or yeah. anything like that. You know, uh, he can be a terrible father, terrible husband, but then he does things like the finale or the, the penultimate episode where he just hands off the, the keys to a, a Cadillac to a, a, a grifter and, uh, or uh, is, gives Peggy her start when no one else will give her the, the time of day, things like that. He's just such a, a strange, strange guy really. And I think you get more and more of that in season three and really start to see like the strange makeup that is Don Draper. It's very more than anything else in the show. That's the most soprano, sopranoian. I guess. Sure. <laughs> you know, that's very Tony in a weird way. That kind mm-hmm. of mob code is yep. kind of how Don totally. lives his life. Yep. Uh, yeah, and so season three ends, I believe, and, and my my uh, my timeline is bound to be terribly off. So I'm, sure. just stick with me here, Brian. I, I expect you to be my ombudsman on this, and I'm sure I'll get a hundred <laughs> emails on what an idiot I am. Well, guess what, guys? I normally just get to make jokes. I don't like hosting. <laughs> yeah, not, we don't usually make you do anything. Yeah, so. I can normally like watch TV and oh yeah, blah 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 joke. And now I'm having to focus and actually listen to you, and it's a nightmare. But uh, yeah, I, it's it's terrible. But uh, so so season three ends with with Betty leaving Dawn, correct? Yes. Okay. Yes, I believe. Yes, she she starts uh, she starts carrying on with the senator or the the senator's yeah. aide, I guess, at some point in season three, and it's a very slow build on that, but but well done. Um, That's right. You're bypassing one of the funniest moments in the whole show. It's one let's of the talk darkest. About- Let's talk about you're you're gonna go on more on me, right? I am, okay, yeah, as you should. Yeah. Um, yeah. But let's talk about this show because I I talk about this a lot when I come to the show, and I think it's why I love the show because in in a, in a lot of ways I am Don Draper and I am a shell of a man in that <laughs> I struggle to appreciate things that are humorless, even things that are good. Sure, that's why I think I don't didn't like Mad Max or didn't enjoy Mad Max, even though I think mm-hmm. it was a great because there's no. If there's sure. no smile to it, I I grew up in a really weird household where we judged people's intellect simply on how funny they were, and it, right. it's it made me a, a useless useless adult <laughs> human being. But so I, I, the things I value in the show often are the comic, and I think this show is one of the funniest shows on television consistently. Absolutely, and when it it does when it's allowed to be that way. Yeah, it's, I mean, its batting percentage is insane in that it only attempts like. Uh, if there's 13 episodes, probably 16 jokes in a season, and sure. like 14 of them are good. Yeah, and yep. it's uh, always very dark, but it's but it's really funny and the Ster- really funny. The way Sterling's dialogue is written, so season three has one oh of the, the, the biggest kind of set pieces of comedy 
uh, in the whole show. Uh, and go ahead and set that up because it's it's one yeah of the best it's ones. it's it's episode six of that season. It's called "Guy Walks Into an Advertising Agency," and it it involves uh, the the British agency that bought Sterling Cooper is about to basically kind of send them on on their own ways and uh, get rid of some of the, the personnel, and uh, they do not like this. <laughs> They're not happy about this move at all. And the guy who's brought in to uh, <laughs> who's brought in to to run the show for St- Sterling Cooper in the states has the misfortune of having his his foot run over by a riding lawnmower in the office, just at a at a crazy office celebration. A, a drunk secretary runs his foot over and splashes blood across the, the office, and uh, and he loses his foot and his and his career, which is. It's yeah. so dark the way that – the, so matter-of-fact the way the, his boss is presented of, well, he can't play golf, so his career is over. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, gosh, man, that's – it's so rough, but it's, it's, it's very funny the way it's stated. And, and it kind of uh, – it allows Don and, and Joan to laugh a little bit mm-hmm. in the hospital at this yeah. person's expense, but, but also at their, their luck, I guess, of being able to carry on the way they want to carry on without the interference from uh, – from the British people, but it's, it's such a fun, that's the first time that I can remember. And I'm sure there are other times throughout that. That's the first time that I can really remember laughing during the show, like laughing hard. Um, and I'm sure that's just because I wasn't sure what I was getting in season one or two. And, and there is, there is something to be said for like, am I allowed to laugh at this? I don't really know if that's, if that's part of the process with this show, but that's such a laugh out loud, darkly funny moment that, um, I think, I think maybe from there on, I think we got more and more of that side of the the characters and the writing. Absolutely, I think they probably figured out that this could be funny. Yeah, I don't, I'm sure Weiner was, and it's his world. He knows it could be funny. But if you have a writing staff, they're like, oh, we can pitch, we can pitch gags now. That's fun, right? Uh, so, so one more piece on the humor. One of the best things this show does as we continue to move through the seasons, and especially starts doing it in season three going forward is finding these weird connections between characters on the show yeah. and letting them almost have a duet uh, for six minutes in a random episode. And we see yeah. a lot of this uh, several times with Don and Joan, who are just gosh not good-looking together, the best-looking two people together of all right. time. Not only are they both intensely gorgeous humans, but something about their looks complement each other so well. They're so um, larger than life. Yeah. which is always a, an awkward sentiment to use when speaking about Joan. Uh, but they are, they are, you know, these Callias of charm and they, the way they dance around each other without ever being romantic with each other, but knowing fully aware that the universe intensely wants them to be romantic towards each sure. other yeah. uh, is wonderful. Uh, but even much smaller ones that are just explored briefly, like, uh, like Sally and, and Roger. Yeah. Right, that's and, a, that's totally true. That's a that's and a it's, funny. It's a smart thing they do they where they just say, "What would it be like if X and Y were together mm-hmm. for five minutes?" And where could we? And that's such an f- interesting way to lighten up an episode. Yeah, absolutely, and it's not. That's a very very rare thing. I think yes. whether drama or sitcom or anything, usually your characters are usually going to pair off, uh, and they stay the same. It's the same pairing, and and maybe there's a couple of connections, friends, you know. 
uh, Ross is going to pair with Rachel, and then there's going to be times when it's him and Joey and Chandler. Chandler and Joey are going to be together, yeah. but it's it's rarely like Ross is hanging out with Joey or Ross is hanging yeah. out with uh, with Phoebe, you know, or something like yeah. that. Like it's and they did it a, a few times, but every show can do that. But I think Mad Men excelled at that mm-hmm. and and really used that to their benefit uh, on multiple levels. Right, and I think the only other show I think that executed even better is the way they play, you know, the the mother and and one of the kids, or the mother and the police chief on on Mysteries of Laura, really exploring <laughs> these richly complex, you know, deep. No, so yeah, I, they mine it for humor, but sometimes they mine it for meaning. You know, sometimes someone like Peggy, if we, you know, this season's fresh on my brain. Mm-hmm. Not, like putting Peggy and Roger together for the first time in the end of season seven, right? right. Just playing yeah. an organ for Pete's sake. And not only does it bring a lot of kind of brevity to it and it's funny and, and really tightens the episode up with these anything, anyone with, you know, Roger Sterling talking to a goat is <laughs> funny. Uh, and I mean that both because Roger Sterling is funny, but also goats are funny. But, right. uh, but, it also brings some enlightenment of, you know, Peggy kind of calling out Roger on some, some stuff like you right. did this. You know, it it really is a smart way to write epiphanies into the show mm-hmm. by just putting someone that totally. would be like, I don't know you that well. I think you're you did this wrong or this right or something. Right. Uh, whereas Don and Peggy maybe couldn't have that conversation, or maybe yep. they could. I don't know, but well, I think a really smart way of doing things without being too expositional or, or yeah, awkward. absolutely. And it also gives it gives more depth to all those characters because in the first season it, it is structured more like a, a standard uh, cable drama where it, everything is kind of caught in every character is kind of caught in Don's atmosphere, you know, or his orbit, I guess is the correct term. Everything kind of revolves around Don. It's Don and Sterling. You get a lot of that in season one and, and much less throughout the run of the show, which is kind of a detriment in some ways because those two characters interacted so well together, but you get a lot of Don and, and Roger, you get a lot of Don and Peggy, you get a fair amount of Don and Joan, you have Don versus Pete. And then as the show goes, you get it's, they branch out and they let them kind of be their own thing. And, and because of that, it becomes, I think that's why it's one of, it's one of the two or three best shows of all time is because all these characters, they're not just characters in relation to the main characters. They're characters in their own right, and I just don't feel not many not many shows do that successfully yeah. Yeah. A, at all. I mean, Breaking Bad. We did it. We did a rants and raves on Breaking Bad after its finale. It's a two character show. It's a two character show, and you get a little bit of, of some supporting uh, characters. Yeah, absolutely. There's some. It's not like they're the only two characters on screen, but it the entire series is about Walter and uh, uh, Jesse. Jesse, thank you. Uh, I, I can't sometimes I get him like his name and his character name confused. Like I wanted to call him Walter and Aaron Paul and that just wouldn't, wouldn't work. But uh, yeah, so this show does Mad Men does such a better job. Better jobs is a strong word. It, it's, I always it's just more call him about Toby all Marshall. those characters. <laughs> yeah. There you go. That's how I'll always remember him. That's Perfect. <laughs> I like how I make that joke 30 seconds after Googling it intensely and you're not even talking about it anymore. No, That's I think fair. you're totally right. And Mad Men has a bunch of characters that I think could justify maybe not seven seasons of a show. Sure. But you could do a season on Joan. Yeah, absolutely. You could do an entire season revolving around 
I mean, around Roger, which would be maybe a 30 minute sitcom, but it'd be great. It'd be fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> Roger yeah. Sterling's he, long, strange trip, him and Bill Walton, maybe go out on a, yeah. Yeah. But that's a good point though. Would you watch a? Would you watch a, let's say we're going to spin off from these shows. Breaking Bad did it with, with Saul and did it quite successfully. Yes. So that's great. But would you watch a uh, would you watch a Skyler spinoff? No. No. No way. Would you would you even watch a Jesse spinoff? I I don't know if I would. Yeah. Jesse's um, very dependent on Walt. Yeah. Uh, I love Mike and I think Mike might be the but he works well with Saul. So I anyway, I think there's probably ten or fifteen characters that if, if you wanted to make a Ginsburg spinoff yeah. from uh, Mad Men for ten episodes, I think I'd watch that. And yeah. I think I'd enjoy it, you know. Yeah, I mean, and he's like twelfth on the depth chart. Yeah, even uh, at, at best. Exactly, you know? they're they're one of the. It's one of the deepest shows. Yeah. of all time. It not only with its original talent, but yes, like we talked about earlier, not being afraid to make that mid season trade and say we can get we can make this better. Right. Um. And and kudos to AMC for allowing that to happen because those things cost money. Definitely. And the show probably didn't make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So you know, I I think kudos to AMC and and Mad Men having the foresight to say. Hey, why don't we add Jared Harris to this for a couple seasons? Why don't we add, uh, you know, and and I think the the strength of this, and and I don't want to talk too much on this. Number one, because as we've noted several times on the show, I hate women, <laughs> and B because it's a very popular narrative. But gosh, Matthew Weiner knows how to write for women, and those characters mm-hmm. that adds to the depth, right? It's just, yep. it's it's such a. Sh- it's probably still a good show if Peggy and Joan and Betty and uh, Trudy and uh, female Dawn and the, the you know Megan. Yeah. Me- Megan and Meredith and all these Mrs. Uh, <laughs> uh, Blankenship. If these characters aren't good, it's probably still a good show. And I think a lot of writers, that's how it would be because a lot of people only know how to write for male characters. Mm-hmm. But gosh, that's why the show's so deep is because it it can say to its female characters, who whom by the way are playing at a time where it would be acceptable for them to be two dimensional. Cause that's all yeah. women were allowed to be at this time. Right. But allowing them and writing these beautiful characters for them. Uh, but I don't want to talk too much on that. Cause there's a million essays out there that say that better than me. And once again, right. you and I very, that we are, yeah, we, we like to make jokes. Yeah. So. We hate women. Right. Uh, we've gotten a lot of emails on that and you're right. <laughs> we do. I think it's, I think if you can, if you get one theme from the show, it, that I hope is it. <laughs> Uh, that we don't like the poor. I think we make that very clear. Uh, the suffering of any type, you know, that's on you. We're, uh, we're not very compassionate people. No, we're all about number one, right? That's, uh, (laughs) white males. Am I right? Let's high five. (laughs) Boom. Um, no, it's, it's, it's it is funny when we get those emails and you're like, really? Like, I feel like we're really not. And we're really trying hard not to be. I know it's good. Anyway. I like the ones well, we got a bunch this week. I'm just going to whine and whine about our listeners <laughs> real quick because you guys are terrible. <laughs> no, you guys are the best. But we got a ton of emails this week. Like, how could you guys hate Mad Max so much? <laughs> and it's like we yeah. gave it A, B, and B. Like we gave it. Like I yeah. think you said the Cinescore was right on par with us. Yeah, it's we just you know. But I guess we hated it. Look, if you want to, people I, get excited. It's fine. It's fine. Just you know what? Keep sending those emails and those those <laughs> tweets and such. It's fine. We we'll handle them. We're we're good with it. We like interaction one way or the other. But yes, so. we are to set the record straight. After you know, it's all been a ruse. All those <laughs> sexist and racist things that we've said. <laughs> we actually, I'm pulling back the curtain here. I have no issue with anyone, regardless of their sex, 
sexual orientation or gender or race. Unless you're a Rockets fan. Then Yeah, if you're a Rockets fan, yeah. <laughs> um yeah, I definitely will have I turn this off. And if you're driving, just take a hard right. <laughs> so let's go into season yeah. four, Brian. So yeah, so season three ends with with uh I think one of the best schemes that the show ever came mm. up with of of uh Ocean's Eleven moment. Yeah, Sterling Cooper and Draper convincing Lane to fire them so that they can basically start their own ag- a- a- excuse me a- agency away from the uh, from being sold away to to McCann, which is such an interesting, but it's so funny and sly the way they do it. I think is another great moment of of great humor from from the show. The way that they the way that they go about that is is kind of wink wink to almost to the camera even of like look at the great idea we came up with guys, and it's just such a funny. Funny way they do it. I think it's a great episode. Too. Yeah, agreed. So let's talk about season four here briefly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by talk about season four, I mean remind me what season four is about. <laughs> season four is uh, Sterling Cooper Draper Price yeah, trying to build a an agency because they leave all most of their business behind, not all of it, but but a good chunk of it, and uh, have have branched out on their own. So there's a lot of money crunch. Uh, throughout these episodes and issues with all that kind of thing. Uh, there's a lot of stress, which is, you know, which happens throughout the course of the show. But I think season four really highlights that of like, they might not be open for another day. Season four is the season, I believe, in which Don writes the infamous anti-tobacco uh, mm-hmm. uh, editorial for, uh, for the, I think, in the New York Times, which is a very a defining moment for him and for the agency and, and the show itself. And I think season four peaks at episode seven with, with uh, that's not a hot sports opinion at all, but it peaks with the suitcase, Everyone's uh, which is favorite. Yeah. is going to be, which we were both watching live at this point. Cause I think I remember talking to you about it. Correct. You know what? I think, I think season five might've been my, my first oh, okay. live season because I remember having this conversation with you about the wheel. And I think at that point you said something because I said, dude, the wheel, you know, best episode of any TV show ever. And you said, I think at that point you said something like, just wait till you see the suitcase. Wait, yeah, so okay. I'm going to say season five was ended up being the first season that I watched. I watched live. I also remember that year at the at the uh, the Emmys Friday Night Lights won for uh, mm. for best script and uh and Friday Night Lights is another one of my all-time favorite TV shows, and um, even even still, I would say uh, the suitcase should have won. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> should have won those things because it's a, a remarkable oddly, episode. Uh, weird, uh, something we can talk about here. Oddly disrespected. It's one best drama yeah. mm-hmm. at the Emmys, which so it's hard to say it's been disrespected, but underrepresented, I think, for the quality of the show in terms of awards. Now, a lot of oh. that is just because of timing being against Breaking Bad, which is. Right. You know, as good if not better of a show. I I I'm a Mad Men guy, same. But I'm fine with people liking Breaking Bad more. That's fine. Right. Uh, so a lot of that is kind of the Charles Barkley theory of you're great, but unfortunately Michael Jordan was also around. Sure. Uh, seven basketball analogies on this show, by the way, because <laughs> it's the only way we can compute things. That's right. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So a lot of that is, but still, the fact that Ham's never won is, Attracts. I think, absurd. Absolutely. Considering that, you know, 
uh, Cranston didn't win all of those. I'm fine with the Cranston ones, mm-hmm. but I'm yeah. not as fine with you like know. Jeff and speaking Daniels as someone that, that watched three, yeah. all three seasons of the newsroom, right? Uh, and in, no, can't even say I enjoyed it. Uh, just that's ridiculous. <laughs> and then was there, there, who won it last year? It was uh, oh McConaughey. Right? He, no, because uh, McConaughey, I think, got shut out. What was the show that won last year? Oh, uh, I'm going to have to look it up, I'm dude. already ready Sorry. to get mad. It's okay. We're going to keep talking. Normally, we edit while we look things up. Yeah, you uh, you, you vamp, and I'll, okay. I'll come back to so it. So I think the show is really underrated. I thought, has Elizabeth Olsen ever won? I don't – or <laughs> pardon me. Elizabeth Moss <laughs> ever won. Peggy Olson, Elizabeth it's fine. Moss. Fine. I, I often Elizabeth have Elizabeth Olson, Olson on yeah. the brain. Yeah, it's exactly. Fine. Has Elizabeth Moss won? That's almost as bad, I think. As no, I don't think Ham she has. Ham not winning. Yeah. Ham uh, at least has a globe, I believe. But he. Yeah, the not globe have... tends to be our corrective on television awards. The Emmys is such a frustrating. Yeah. And we always so, say this Michael Scott doesn't have an Emmy. Michael yeah, Gary a Scott. It's a joke. <laughs> it's an absolute joke. But. It's good because John Cryer deserves them. Um, uh, so you have the Breaking best actor. Bad won the won the Emmy last year. Just okay, so Cranston won. So that was still the last Cranston one, and and um, I think the show won okay. as well. That's fine. Last season, that. yeah, won. it's fine. But I want to see some Emmys for Mad Men this year. Yeah, it and it's not going to happen. <laughs> no. It's not going to happen because it. They have shown, for whatever reason, they've shown that they don't care about the show anymore. It's weird because it's. So, I don't get that it's at all. Built for awards, like yes, it's, the it's, aesthetic it, and the subject matter and everything is. You would I, feel something would be. I really feel like we should be talking about those two shows in reverse. Like we should be saying, "Man, it's crazy that Breaking Bad never yeah. won any Emmys, but it just ran up against that juggernaut of <laughs> Mad Men, yeah. you know." And instead, it's the it's the other way around. And mm-hmm. I, I would, you know, look, I would have Breaking Bad in my top three or four or five. Ep- TV shows of all time, but but it's weird that Mad Men for the last I think it won a ton it, it won a ton for the first three years, yeah. and then after that they're like meh, we just don't care anymore. And you absolutely could make the case that four, five, and seven are better than any of the you know the three that actually won Emmys for. It's just it's a strange thing, and it, it is a ridiculous. It's ridiculous that Ham doesn't have one, um, and I don't know that that's going to change. This season, because as great as this last half of a season was, and we'll talk about it more in a second, I don't know that there's a defining yeah. ham moment in there. It may be this last episode. Who knows? But, I mean, you, you got to yeah. expect Selleck's got to get his Blue Bloods award. So that's what's important. <laughs> um, so so season four continues the divorce Don. He's single. Mm-hmm. He's He's kind of got a little bit of mojo again. Cause yeah. He's, Newly single, he's got his new company rocking, uh, and that's kind of the motif of season four. Is Don is back from season one? One of the many times right. Don is back, yes, uh, only to fall fall yet again. So season five, we're almost there. I promise, we're almost to season seven, the most recent uh, season. Season five, Brian. Why don't we Why don't we go through that one? I think season five is the best season of the show, mm-hmm. um, and I I don't know that I felt like that way. Uh, before kind of doing some some recaps and going back through some of these episodes. But one of the things I did in prep for this episode was I just searched like top 10 Mad Men episodes and, and read through 20 or 30 different lists just to kind of get a feel so that I could go back and pick out my own, you know. And season five, episodes five through 13 were all on somebody's list somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's when 
I don't know that you can say it's when the show takes off because it certainly had taken off before that, but you get some extra characters. Ginsburg becomes a big player. Lane Pro- Ginsburg's great, dude. Yeah, I, love, is. I love weird, Ginsburg. Weird fall for Ginsburg. Yes, it's a very, uh, very odd. I, I want to talk weird. about that episode yeah. in, a, in a little bit. Um, but you get a lot of price, which is great. Um, so season here, here's season five for you, Richard. Season five, you have episode five involves the fist fight between Lane Price and Pete Campbell, which is fantastic. Yes. Episode six is the LSD episode. Mm. Uh, episode seven is the uh, <laughs> is the codfish ball mm. when uh, uh, Sterling and uh, Sally, are- yeah, are, are hanging out and and it. It culminates it in weird things for uh, for poor Sally. Uh, episode eight is Lady Lazarus, mm. which is a great episode. Episode nine is Dark Shadows, which is probably the dip, I guess, but it's still fantastic. Episode ten is Christmas Waltz, which has one. It was of- weird that Johnny Depp showed up in that one. <laughs> in yes, uh, just- I saw just a jarring. Yeah, a lot, lot of face paint, but yeah. uh, but fine, I guess. Yeah, it was. It, it worked for the. It time. was from that time period. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah, it's fine. Uh, episode ten is Christmas Waltz, which mm-hmm. is one of my all-time favorites. Episode eleven is the other woman, which breaks my heart over and over and over. Every time I even yeah. think about that episode, and I want to talk about it more in a second. Episode twelve is is Lane hanging himself, and episode thirteen is Dawn seeing dead people. I mean, that's just an insane run yeah. of uh, of episodes strung to. Together that you could pick out any episode in that seven seven episode arc and say this is the best episode of the show and i would say okay i believe you like that's i'm, I'm good with that you know no t- completely it's 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 a that's probably now that you see i struggle with with remembering these seasons and sure you're putting those out back to, that's that's the run that's the magical magical run yeah uh so a lot of Lane, which is great. We like we like Lane a lot. It's, the LSD episode is so weird and so but, awesome. but great. It's it's a great episode. It's one of the few just Roger centric storylines. Yes, that, a very it, Roger heavy episode. And he, yep, you start to wonder maybe Roger's only good in kind of the Twitter formula and 140 characters here and there. Uh-huh. But he he proves that he's much more than that in that episode. So absolutely, and it it's it's almost a bottle episode for mm-hmm. Mad Men. Uh, which is very rare for such a serialized show. It you could almost take that one out, and it wouldn't matter to the the grand scheme of things in a lot of ways. But it's still uh, so well done that you you know you can't help but but love it. So let's talk about Lane's ultimate demise. Lane mm-hmm. begins to have money problems uh, during this season, financial mm-hmm. issues at home, his wife's spending, his spending, his son's spending uh which is interesting that they bring that because he is kind of the money guy for the for the the s d s p or whatever it is yeah uh, yeah, yeah Stone cooper draper price uh but he it shows again this this issue in the show that this work-life balance someone that could be so huh. on top of the the purse strings for a company would would lead to essentially financial ruin and and the way they handle that suicide is so Mad Men because it is yep. so touching and beautiful and so funny. Yeah. The fact that they make a gag out of he goes down, you know, they're 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 working on a pitch for Jaguar, and the whole joke everyone always says is that they're pieces of crap and they don't run and they don't start. <laughs> yeah. And they just kind of throw these jokes out the whole show, and then he goes down to his garage and he's got the whole rig set up to to asphyxiate himself with the with the Jaguar and it doesn't start. <laughs> 
That is such like a so dark. For lack of a better so term, funny. such a ballsy yeah. comedic turn. Like yeah. that you're just gonna yep. give this guy one last twist of black humor before yep. he he kills himself is right. Very madman. Uh-huh. Uh, and then he he eventually much more brutally hangs himself in the office, only to be discovered uh, mm. by you know get him down by by Draper and, and yeah, Sterling but, and go. But, and another example there of Don Draper's code, like you don't. You don't leave a man hanging. Yeah, you can't. We're and not in the military. That. that the military life that is still very much instilled in, in Draper. Mm-hmm. You know, we forget that yep. that yep. his only attachment to anything because his childhood is so non-existent is the is the military. Very formative yep. for him. You can uh-huh. tell. Sure, but he also hated it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> from yeah. what we can tell. So, so we go forward with. With Lane killing himself, the the office sort of recovering. Lane is over the course of that season really ingratiated himself with the group. Yeah. With you know he forms a bond with Joan, which gets a little creepy at times. Don, Roger, every he becomes this kind of very trusted person and 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 someone that the show really has to recover uh, after losing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think I think the show took a dip partly because they didn't have Lane around. I think he was an important part of the mm-hmm. dynamic there. And I think he was somebody that kept those other characters grounded in a way. Yeah. And you didn't have that going forward. And, and I, yeah, I think the show suffered a little bit because of that. Cause I think season six again is, is the dip. I do want to talk about Richard before we move on to season six, mm-hmm. I want to talk about Christmas waltz and the other woman. Okay. Because please. the thing that's interesting to me is I, Especially going back and rewatching, it became clear that to Weiner, the most important relationship on this show was the Don Peggy relationship. And you get a lot of those, like the suitcase is all about Don and Peggy. And, mm-hmm. and there's some other sh- episodes that are the same. And the way that they mirror each other, the way they're so much alike and so different at the same time, uh, is highlighted over and over and over again. And I think that's a big, obviously, that's a huge part of the show. For me, I think the most important interactions in in most cases were the ones between Don and jo- and Joan. And uh, I think those two episodes, Christmas Waltz, the other woman, mm-hmm. uh, put that on full display. In Christmas Waltz, you have Don uh, knowing that Joan is ha- is she's just been served with divorce papers and things are terrible, and. Uh, and being the the good human that he is sometimes uh, takes her out to, and basically buys a Jaguar, takes her out on the town and has this really endearing and honest moment with her talking at the bar. Um, and you just get the sense of how these characters are so close, even though we, we really don't see them interact all that often no. uh, is so cool. And then the, the very next episode, uh, I've probably watched that episode three times, I'm going to guess. And I, I have wept every single time mm-hmm. because it is such – if you're unfamiliar, this is the episode in which Joan essentially agrees to, to sell herself to, a, uh, to the, 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 the dealer, the Jaguar dealer guy. And, uh, Very attractive guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In, in exchange for 5% of the company – and she thinks that everybody in the company has 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 made it clear that this is what they want her to do, and then Don shows up to uh, to tell her that it's not worth it and not to do it. And it's just such a heartfelt, again, very honest moment from a character that you don't usually get just a ton of honesty from. 
and then you find out that she's already done it. <laughs> and it is it's such a gut punch, but I, I felt so like well made and written it's too. so well done. That should have won them both all of the awards. <laughs> yeah. Like it was just such you could not have made that more genuine and more honest than it than it came across because those two actors are so good at acting, you know? Yeah. And yet now nah, we don't need to give them awards. But it, regardless, I think it is – I don't know if it's the best it, – it's not the best episode of the show, but it's the one that will, I think, continue to um, to enfor- reinforce within me like the emotions of the show in a lot yeah. of ways. No, and, and the core of the show – that these people really are uh, a family. Yes. That yeah. they love, you know, they, they really love each other. And that's what the show's, I think season seven's really about mm-hmm. yep. how they all now have to kind of go live their own lives. Right. Um, whether those are going to be at the, at the new big firm, mm-hmm. which they will allow them, a lot of them to still work together, but they'll never be the family they once were. Right. Or like, you know, someone like Roger who just kind of gets to go and, and live out his remaining years. Right. And so, you know that that, but those sh- those type of episodes really s- establish not just a code of ethics for Draper, but that you know, <laughs> as much as we like Sally and Betty at times, and Bobby and that other kid yep. that doesn't need to exist, Gene. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know Don's family is that office, absolutely as close as he's ever had, and those are the those are the people he really really cares about. You know, water thicker than blood, I guess. Yeah, in, in this in this case. Well, and he makes that clear. There's an episode, and I I couldn't find it when I was going back through. He says to the something to the effect of, "I try to care about my kids, but I just don't." Yeah, you know, and, and that's a common, and that's another. There's these micro moments of what what Don feels about you know that that, uh-huh. that tells you something about Don. Yeah, uh, but it also it in those moments. What's so great about the show is there's this macro idea of. That's how parent a lot of parents felt during that time. Yeah, totally. So it kind of creates – it's so great at creating such a feel of history. Not saying it's perfectly accurate. I don't think it attempts to be. But it, mm-hmm. it, it does a great job of, of these little moments of showing things, how, how they were and how actual people were. Because we, history has one of these things where you remember a couple generals and a couple presidents and Martin Luther King and we move on. And But what was it like to actually be alive – Mm-hmm. During that time, how how, did you, how would you treat your family? Little things like when they go for the picnic and just leave the garbage everywhere in like season one. Yeah. Because that's just what you did. <laughs> uh, it's uh, – it's, I love when they do that, when they show kind of macro ideas through through character. Uh, so so season six, we're going we're gonna to drift into the, the abyss a little bit. Uh-huh. I am higher on season six than you, but I didn't like it as sure. much at first. It took me a rewatch to kind of sure. – to vibe with it and see what it, cause it starts accelerating towards an end more than, more than any other season, more than right. even season seven until it ramps up big time. Yeah. So, uh, so season six, some, some likes and dislikes. Uh, like would be, uh, I think that's the season in which Ken Cosgrove does his dance, which yes. is such a fun, weird moment. Um, Dude, I don't have now. Fair to be fair, I didn't rewatch much of of this season at all. Okay, uh, and it just—it's not that it's bad at all. First of all, Linda Cardellini ruins it, but that's you yeah. Know, that's we neither here we should talk about our long-standing <laughs> hatred for Linda Cardellini or whatever. Yeah. 
name Poor is. Linda Cardellini. All she did was take a take a, a role in a in a popular kids TV show, and and I'll hate her for it <laughs> yeah. for the rest of my life. For those who don't uh, know, she broke up Corey and Topanga temporarily right. on Boy Meets World, right. and uh, and we'll never ever forgive her. Also, right. uh, she shows up in something else we saw recently. What was she in? Yeah, she was in the Avengers. She's in the She's Avengers, and, it, and has yeah. has has aged uh, seventy five years. <laughs> yes, yes. That well, that's karma. She for might actually be born in. The t- she, her Mad Men character might be her true self. <laughs> uh, Fair. She still looks great. She just looks older yeah, and great. It's uh, funny. It's funny that she – yeah. Anyway, so she's throughout – she's a big player with, throughout the, the season. This is the season that it's – it just – I think my biggest issue – and I it's really – it's not a complaint. It's just – this is – it's a really dark, heavy season to me mm-hmm. and – I think the the driving force behind the show, and I kind of mentioned this earlier, was I really feel like Weiner was seeing all these people talk about how much they loved Don Draper and thinking – and he's got to spend every day with this character uh-huh. and is thinking, this guy is a scumbag. And how do you – how are you guys mm-hmm. liking this person? OK, you like the way Don Draper acts. I'm going to show you how Don Draper acts. Yeah, and it's- it, it just feels like – it's very much like a – it's almost like a, a – a, a, a reverse greatest hits of Don Draper throughout the majority of the season. His life is just falling apart again, always due to self-sabotage. And I think for it's, it's It's still very good television. It's just not, um, I just watching it the first time through, I just was like, I kind of feel like we've done this already. And I think maybe that's the point, but uh, it, it just it doesn't have as many highlights to me. Yeah. So season five, we should say ends with Don going to Hawaii uh-huh. Uh, with the kiddos, or is it Disney? Where does he go? Disney is the end of season four. Disney is the end of season four with him. Season five is him making a go of it as an honest married man. Okay, that's right. Okay, so he yeah. gets married to Megan at the end of season four. Yeah, the beginning of season five brought you Zuby Zuby Zoo. Zuby Zuby Zoo. Okay, and uh, that's right. Also, a couple other things in season five that we we pass over that I think were highlight moments were he he has the fever dream in which he strangles a woman. Who's trying to uh, ruin his marriage? Which is such a weird, yeah. creepy episode. It also has—I don't know if you remember this—it it, it has the episode in which he uh, he sends Megan down to the lobby uh, when she quits her job, and then the next the elevator opens up again and it's empty. He almost steps out into an empty uh, elevator shaft, mm-hmm. which is such a strange, I think, very on the nose like uh, metaphor, I guess, or symbolism or whatever for. Don Draper life. So you're right. I was I mi- I missed all that. So now season six begin was season five ends with Don with two ladies at a bar, right? Uh huh. Yeah. And you're like, well, is he back? Right. And so you're right. I think we try to see of everyone thinks, oh, Don Draper, you're such a scumbag. You're cheating on Peggy. Uh, Petty. Blah, Betty. Ah, but she's kind of annoying. That's yeah. fine. Go nuts. Okay, he's single. Now we can really watch him. Oh, he ends up with this mate. She seems nice. Good for. I'm happy for Don. Oh no, this is boring. I don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, come on, Don, cheat on her, cheat on her, cheat on her, and th- and then I think Weiner's season six is a reaction to that. Like, you really want him to go back down that world? Yep, absolutely. The the, yep. the, the Pete Campbell line of it feels good until it doesn't. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Is the is is kind of talks about <laughs> he's talking about himself there, but speaks for for Don a lot. A lesson Don can't seem to learn. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, so season six, we Don is now. 
begins a relationship with someone in his building, Linda Cardellini, uh, the doctor's wife, and it gets very intense and weird. And he like locks her in a hotel room at one point, and yes, it's uh, it's a little creepy. It's the first creepy, very uh, desperate, abusive Don that we really see. Yes. Absolutely. It, it, I think his character is it, it's an escalation of behavior at that point. Mm-hmm. He's kind of spiral spiraling. Yep. And season six spends a lot of time really reveling in in his uh complete um mm-hmm. debauchery and the way it affects his life. It finally affects Sally. And he yes. mentions that. One of the first things he says when he, he has his follow part in the finale of season seven of the of the show is I've scandalized my daughter. You can tell it's something yep. that really sticks with him mm-hmm. when she walks in on him. Yep. Uh, and it and it really it puts a wedge between him and Sally, which at least in the life of the show is never fully recovered. Yeah, I totally. Yeah. The 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 other highlight of season six is we get Bob Benson, who is yes. one of the best bring in characters they've ever they we, ever had on the show, and I wish they would have got we would have gotten more out of that. Yeah, so Entertainment Weekly had a great list today of of characters we didn't fully resolve. Okay. And so before we go into season seven, why don't we go through that? Because I'd like to uh I'd like to talk about that briefly. Hold on, let me pull that up here. There we go. So uh so some some loose ends in Mad Men as we approach season seven. Now uh so we never really figure out and this is a completely uh, part of season seven, part two, this character comes, but we never really get resolution on him. Uh, Stevie, who's the guy that Peggy's going to move, run to Paris with. Oh yeah. Peggy no, has this great him. date. Yeah, he's just gone. And yeah. then he's just gone. So yeah. that's an interesting one. Sorry, Stevie, get a man's name. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like Steven. Um, <laughs> uh, then we have Diana, the waitress. Yeah. So I think that one's kind of resolved, though, because he... I do, too, yeah. I think once I, Don realizes that he's not the only one after her and she's really not that special, mm-hmm. and he's not that special, yep. Uh, he's kind of like, oh, okay, I'm out. I'm just going to drive to Alva, Oklahoma. <laughs> As you do. Yeah, that's where I go to get some thinking done. <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh, Stephanie. She just kind of leaves crying, the commune. Right? That's oh, her name, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, I had to... <laughs> yeah. Uh, we never really get a goodbye to Don. Uh huh. So an interesting one. The next one, the uh, you know uh, secretary Don. Right. Here's an interesting one. So and I think it's purposeful. The last time we see Ted is in the meeting with the million other creative directors. Uh huh. And when when hit you know earlier in the in the series Don is always wanting bigger, bigger, bigger clients. That is the key to his happiness. Is bigger, bigger, bigger. He wants an air. You know, what do you want? I want an airline. Hmm. Um. And then, but he kind of gets away from that and becomes this artiste as the season goes and, and sure. not so much career driven. And whereas Ted kind of refocuses on his career. Uh huh. Wants to get a big pharmaceutical. He wants a big pharmaceutical. You know, when Don asks him what he wants. And he seems perfectly content being a big company guy. Yeah. Being one of, you know, 18 creative directors at McCann. And he's just going to spend his days, you know. Yeah. Well, that's that. probably so because kind of Ted's a little to closer Ted. to normal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't think Ted ever had the ambition that Don does, but he also the drive for Don is is the search for happiness that he can never get. And I think Ted realized that for him, the happiness is having a good job, an important job, but also having you know family life and 
that was driven home at some point through the the last couple of seasons. That wasn't ever going to be enough for Don. No. So, so as we go, let's go into season seven, part one. Okay. Hey, do we want to let's 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 stop at season six, the finale, because I think okay, that's a ahead. defining moment. Because that in care of is the episode title. Mm-hmm. That's the one where you have to feel like if if John Hamm doesn't win an Emmy for this, it's never going to happen yeah. because it's that's the episode in which he has the breakdown, the total breakdown in the pitch meeting for Hershey's and just goes on and on about his own, his true life, which he never talks about. Um, I don't know. You, you tell me, do you feel like that's definitely not going to be the best episode of the show? Do you feel like that might be the best moment of acting He's for, for John Ham. Pretty great from Ham, uh, certainly. And that episode's interesting because that's the only time he really faces any consequence for this dual identity piece. Totally. And it's like, yeah. just when you start thinking, you know what, he's going to get away with this, he confesses to it, and everyone's just like, not really mad. They're just like, Ugh. What just happened? Yeah, yeah, we don't like this guy. This guy's weak. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like this animalistic thing where you sense weakness and you're kind of out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's that's an interesting. Sorry, I just got really loud there. That's an interesting episode in a lot of ways when he kind of breaks yeah. down and 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 leaves. So season seven opens with Don essentially on leave, right? Mm-hmm. He's on yeah. paid leave. His wife is in California trying to become an actress, and he is commuting for some reason, pretending like he has a job because he's right. embarrassed to tell her. Yeah, and that's where season seven get- is is mostly about that Megan and Don. Season uh-huh. seven, part one is the season three uh, for Betty and Don, but for Megan and Don this time, the slow yes. kind of crumble. Yes, but with California Pete, so it's better. Yeah. <laughs> California Pete's a great character, and, and gosh, and now we can start kind of getting into Pete. Pete starts as as an antagonist, not just an antagonistic character, but the antagonist in the first season. Yeah, he's the one you know throwing up the hurdles for for Don. Uh huh. And he grows into this. Oddly likable thing, but I, I want to talk about the <laughs> finale, Pete's ultimate result. Uh-huh. You know what? Actually, no, let's save that because I want to go through each and every one of their different okay. results. But Pete has an interesting one, and we'll talk about it briefly later. But yeah, Pete's out in California. Uh, we've, got, we've got Don commuting, and then Don eventually works his way back, w- way back to the office uh, through a merger, correctly? Mm-hmm. Correct? Yes, yes. He is going to get back in the game because uh, Roger wants to do a friend of solid and save his career and accepts mm-hmm. accepts the uh, the acquisition from McCann. Right, that they've been trying to stay away, trying to avoid for the entire run of the show, but it becomes the lesser of of all evils mm-hmm. to be able to uh, because Cutler pulls a power move. By the way, Harry Hamlin. Awesome. Great, he is awesome. Great addition as well. Um, that's another character, no resolution on him. Whatever happens uh-huh. to Cutler. Yeah, who, who knows? Just takes the money, I guess. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, he, he, they, they play the, the power play by Cutler results in Sterling basically having to go to McCann and, and sell themselves mm-hmm. to them so that he can keep his own job, but also so that he can keep, uh, he can keep Draper on the, on the payroll. They have become fast buddies again. And, uh, so yes, yeah. Are that's we, kind of the are we end fast of buddies? That. <laughs> yeah, obviously, okay. fast and furious yeah, buddies. That's right, we are. Yeah, I was hoping you take that really. hanging fruit. Um, yeah, so. so that first half of the season, you're getting uh, the 
the eventual demise of the relationship between Don and, and Megan, which is a really very honest, sobering moment. I think it's, it all takes place over the phone, uh, which is very tough. Uh, very telling of things to come in the finale. Yes, absolutely. You get all these other characters realizing that despite how much of a pain in the butt Don Draper can be, Lou Avery is way worse. Yeah. Um, you get uh, you get a lot of the Stan and Peggy sort of stuff that had kind of been way, way, way back burner up to I mm-hmm. think this this that half of the season and and in that seven episodes you get kind of a it, it, it escalates a little bit and sure. it gets on the uptick. Um, those last two episodes to me are the ones that that I'd like to I'd want to talk about okay. for the last two of those seasons. So episode six is a strategy, and you're you get a little bit of Bob Benson. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get uh, he. Let me let me make sure I have my ducks in a row there. So they're pitching Burger Chef. It's another. It, I think it's the last truly great Don and Peggy moment when he he essentially hands the torch to her mm-hmm. on the account, and uh, and just basically says, "I I believe in you." Essentially, this yeah. is season that that's. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm confusing episode six and seven. They kind of blend together. Yeah. So season episode six is is them coming up with the Burger Chef pitch, mm-hmm. and it 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 really has Peggy and Don uh, switching places, and her taking Don's place, and and as he even says, like, well, here's my process. I, you know, I write something, then I abuse everybody whose help I need, then I take a nap, and then I write something better, and yeah. has the them switching places very Both interesting way. The worst. Yes, yes. Lou Avery's the worst. Everyone can all we can all agree on that. I hate that we didn't get to see his cartoon fail. I know, I know. It would have been great. He. It was great though that it towards the end of the, the last episode, I guess, is he uh, or next to the last episode when he basically screws himself out of whatever buyout it might have been by by leaving to go do his uh, yeah. his cartoon, which is fantastic. Like that's all the karma that I need on on Lou Avery. Uh, we get the best line in the history of the show, in my opinion, which is not great, Bob. Yeah. Like I, that just always kills me when Pete gets into the elevator and Bob's being all happy-go-lucky and Pete just found out his mom died. And uh, it's such a funny moment that uh, Pete's able to sell it that way. And then we move fully into, into Waterloo, the last episode of that season, and they get Burger Chef. Peggy makes another great pitch, and uh, and we get – Burt Cooper, the ghost of Burt Cooper dancing, which is such a glorious moment <laughs> yeah. in the show's history. Uh, it's kind of – it's probably one of my five or six favorite moments in, in, in the show of, of uh, getting this kind of send-off for a character who is always not very prevalent – on the show, even though he's just kind of the ag- yeah, the agency is is named after him. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was such it was a kind of a cool moment, and it gave you an opportunity to see some uh, some truth from Sterling, as well as the fact that you know all these people again, as you said earlier, Richard, it's family to Draper. Yeah. Even if we never really got too much interaction between Cooper and Draper, but that was, I think, seeing him off that way was an indication of how much he meant mm-hmm. to Don. Yeah, and, and Peggy ends up with the prize heirloom of the octopus pleasuring a lady. 
Second best line in the entire show. Yeah. It's you an octopus pleasuring a lady. Yeah. <laughs> so matter of fact. Did you see it hanging up in our office in the finale? Yes. Yeah. yeah. With great. skeletons and stuff, like yeah. Halloween decorations on it. Yeah. Yeah. That was really, great. Really funny. So, okay. So let's go into this final yeah. season. This mm-hmm. final half season, rather. It's seven episodes or six or... Seven episodes. Seven episodes. Uh, I think season seven as a whole is is really wonderful. I really like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the finale, which we will have some some qualms with, I think is a good episode. Mm-hmm. Just the frustrations you have are a couple errors of convenience, which can be totally be forgiven given the circumstances. And uh, you know the, the the human craving for closure, which you're just not going to get. Yeah. So let's talk about the first half of this this show. Now we have uh, kind of everyone now joining or finding out that they've thinking they're going to be operating independently from McCann and kind of mm-hmm. finding out that uh, not only that, but the, the lease has been pulled. <laughs> they're right. going to move it's not them the in. Plan. Yeah. yeah, that is not going yeah. to be the plan. So they're going to essentially just be become employees proper of McCann uh, in their original roles, but but instead of you know, having one Don Draper, we will have 30 Don Drapers and 30 Jones. And, you know, I guess there probably won't be 30 Rogers because that'd be a, a world I'd want to live in. But right. uh, that they will just get they're going to be assimilated into this huge, large, larger group, which is not what <laughs> we've come to expect for our ragtag group of heroes. Right. Uh, we get Don, who, who finalizes everything with with Megan at the early part of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have, you know, Pete still finding out that maybe the single life isn't isn't all he thought it would be. Peggy continuing with her career, but maybe stagnating maybe just a little bit uh-huh. uh, and, and, and now setting up for this later act. Anything you want to add on the first half of, of season seven? Uh, I think towards the end of that first half, we get Peggy telling Stan about her child, which yeah. was, uh, I think, was... Man, that's a really that's a strong moment in the in the history of the show. Yeah, she's finally and one fully of, open with somebody. Yes, absolutely, and one of one of uh, Elizabeth Moss's best she's moments of best. acting amongst she's so many. Yeah, she's, she's so good. So, yeah, uh, but that was a really uh, that was a almost out of character for her, but in the but in the right way. You know, it was out of character because uh, she's letting her guard down for the first time in so many ways. And that's, that's really, uh, I, I enjoyed that quite a bit. That was a really good episode. Uh, Ken Cosgrove kind of getting his revenge on, on, uh, Sterling and Pete as well was really yeah. kind of a funny, uh, send off for that character that, uh, he, he, he deserved, he, he gave up his eye for the agency and, uh, and in turn, they just kind of kept firing him. So, uh, to be able to to kind of get that last hur- hurrah, I guess, and the or, way he nurses it, laugh instead is, of just firing good. them, he's like, "No, nope, yes, it's gonna yeah. be worse. You're gonna have me as a customer." <laughs> and uh, <laughs> right, yeah, which is which is fantastic. So, excuse me. So, as we kind of turn into the home stretch on these last three episodes. We have a lot of themes of, oh, no, you know, what's Don going to do? Because Don, more than anything, likes to be the superhero, and his ego re- requires that. It's one of his flaws, maybe, mm-hmm. one of many. And now he gets you kind of get the feeling that he's just going to be, you know, a creative director at McCann Erickson. While the clients will be bigger, he will always be smaller. Right. Uh, and how is he going to adjust to that? And we have this theme also we should talk about first half of the season as well. 
Don uh, becomes oddly fascinated by a waitress mm-hmm. whom, whom he begins a, a sexual and romantic relationship with. And it turns out, of all the, the nut bars that he's been with, she's probably <laughs> the most broken. Yeah. Uh, and let's let's take a break here. And, and I know we're, we're sitting here at an hour and a half, so we'll, we'll wrap this up shortly. But some Don flames throughout the year. Who, If you could pick anyone for Don to end up with, who would it be? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think the easy answer is there was a – before he started dating Megan – he was in, in season four. He was dating a woman. I think her name was Faye. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, psychologist. Up. Yeah, the psychologist. And and it was the. I think that was the first time that Don was ever with someone who was an equal mm-hmm. to him and who actually challenged him on an intellectual level. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and. In the in the happy ending version of the show, that's 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 where the show goes, right? Like Don learns how to uh, get over his his habit of self sabotaging himself and grows and matures as a person and uh, gets in a relationship with and marries a woman who is his equal and is his counterpart, uh, and instead he very abruptly breaks up with her, runs off to Disneyland with his secretary and marries her, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I, that's, yeah. Okay. That's where you had to know, okay, Don's never going to change. Like no. this is, this is Don for, for the rest of, uh, of his natural life. Uh, but I think, I think she would have been the right match for him as far as like, Hey, I really like this character. I want him to be a better human being. Uh, that would have been the right one as far as like, does it work? Um, I don't know, dude. Do you think there is one? <laughs> that's, I guess that's my question. Is there, is there a match for Don Draper? Because I kind of don't think there is. There's, they all kind of join up together to make one, I think. Right. He and, they all, and, and none of them, by the way, I should, we should say, none of them, I think part of the whole psychology of Don Draper is that none of these women, including Betty, ever are going to live up to, uh, to Anna, uh, the, the woman that uh, – Allowed him to have yeah. his <laughs> his elite, you know, his his identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's a big part of the show is that th- he compared all women to her, and none of them were were ever going to measure up. No, you're right. Uh, that's that's definitely a problem. Betty grows into a completely empowered, you know, mm-hmm. strong yep. woman. Uh, and and but uh, there's some other ones I liked a lot. I like the department store heiress. Yeah. Uh, that's what he yeah. sticks with. Yeah. Uh, the teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was always a little crazy. She was nuts, but uh, I liked her. And yeah. obviously, you know, the magic cab ride, pitch perfect girl. Uh, oh, yeah. I forgot seems, about that. <laughs> <seems> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a big fan of her work. But <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but I think Betty ends up being the love of his life. Yeah. As we see uh, in their in their final phone call together, at least in, on the show, yeah, uh, it's it's kind of a wonderful and they're they kind of you know at the camp they reki- not necessarily rekindle but you know they they it goes it becomes less nuclear and uh-huh. the relationship yeah. cools and and they become there's some, there's some closure there yeah and I sure. think the divorce certainly grows Betty up in a lot of ways yeah um, well yeah having I think something the, not go perfectly in her life totally. If there's a right woman for Don, it's probably uh, season five and and beyond Betty, yeah, you know, yeah. which is um, I th- I, w- I want to say that's probably purposeful on yeah. Weiner's part of of making her 
his <sighs> the right you know for, of growing her through that stuff and and have it being very ironic of like man if we just could have got our timing right you know this yeah. would have worked out and Weiner's relationship with that character with Be- the Betty character is really interesting in that he tortures her for years. Mm-hmm. Like everything bad can happen happens to Betty in a lot of ways. He makes her, mm-hmm. he demeans her in a lot of ways and embarrasses her and all that. It makes her very unlikable for those first few seasons. Yeah, it probably in an attempt to either a his issues with whoever that character represents in his own psyche, or b sure to justify in some ways having Don as your protagonist, you have to at least mm-hmm. make the person that he's hurting. I don't want to say deserve it, but you know, not completely sympathetic all the time. Yeah, no, that's that's totally true. Uh, but then that he he really once she and then she balloons up in weight, and then she, which you know, isn't a big deal, but it is to someone like Betty, who, whom we find really only cares about. Her, her mm-hmm. work is very important to her, as we find out in the end of season seven. And then he kind of, and it's like a mixture of his writing and the, January Jones suddenly becoming a great actress out of nowhere. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. The character becomes endearing again and 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 strong and someone you root for and, and smart. You see what Don saw in her early on uh-huh. as a young girl and then immediately just gives her cancer. <laughs> yeah. Like right yeah, when she finally really gets it together, and you're like, "Man, Betty's awesome. She's great." Uh-huh. So his whatever his issue is with that character Weiner is something he needs to work out. I don't know who it represents, <laughs> but he clearly hates Betty. But the uh, flip side of that is, I'll say, just devil's advocate, he mm-hmm. does. He continues to keep her around, and I think, and he uh, kills her with a lot of dignity. Which <laughs> yes, no, he does. Yes. I mean, he lets. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I, I think, uh, I think a lesser. A lesser writer, a lesser showrunner would have run that character off at some point. Would have, if nothing else, would have listened to criticism of, gosh, Betty is the worst. And I, I fully admit I'm in that camp. There were so many times in whatever seasons two through four where Betty would come on screen and it's just like an instant power down to me. But uh, instead of instead of writing her out or making her so miserable that she can't be involved anymore, he, he really did give her a lot of redemption, even if her ending isn't entirely happy when it's all said and done. No, he does. You get to see her fully come around mm-hmm. and become finally, whether her daughter will admit it close to her in some ways, you know, and, and uh, very at peace with who she is and where she is in life. Mm-hmm. And, Grounded in the decisions she made for herself and her family were the right ones. You know, she never has, they never really let her, and I respect the fact, like, look at Dawn and say, you know, they have their moment at the cabin or at the uh, camp, mm-hmm. but you never, they don't spend a lot of time with her regretting leaving him. Yeah. You know, and That's, I like that. that yeah. she's, there's a lot of, uh, yeah, there's a lot of, of uh, I can't think of the word that I'm looking for, but, um, that gives her a lot of humanity that would not exist in most TV shows, I think, mm-hmm. in that setting anyway. Okay, so let's talk about the finale. We're here. Okay. Let's hit it. So, like I said, I think it works a lot as an episode. The issues I have with it in the finale are, are small. I, uh, we both talked about it, and you actually called this, and it shows uh, that you know your psyche and mine better than, than I do, <laughs> that you would, you would like it as you got further away from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and, and that has turned out to be true. Uh, there's a few issues with, I have with it. I've I've texted a couple of them to you. My mm-hmm. friend Eric brings up a great point in uh, of the finale of the show, and uh, 
Well, you want to walk through it, or should we just assume people? Let's just assume people have seen it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we, we end with the Coke ad. We end with the Coke Basically. ad. And so my friend Eric, who you met last night for the first time, yep. had a really funny thought that, like, it is frustrating when I describe this uh, show for – when people ask me what's Mad Men about, I'm thinking about getting into it. You kind of have to say – well, it's an eleven-year journey about how a Coke commercial from the seventies was made. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. kind of a frustrating place to end it. Like you realize sure. that all these ups and downs in Don's life, and him finally finding some section of peace, let him make a Coke. And I love Coca-Cola, right? Uh, but classic, but we call it. Yeah, the classic um, <laughs> is a. It's essentially all about him making this Coke ad. Uh-huh. Uh, but Coke is definitely a theme of the second half of the show and, and of this episode. You know, the, the uh-huh. you know if you notice when Don leaves McCann Erickson, they're all sitting yep. around the coffee, uh, conference table with, with Coca-Cola's. He fixes the Coke machine at the hotel in the penultimate uh-huh. episode. And, uh, you know, there's a, and Joan and her boyfriend at the beginning of this last episode are doing Coke. <laughs> yeah, and the episode odd. ends with Don doing coke, and uh-huh. so, uh, but in a different variety. So, it's uh, it's it's a little heavy handed on the. Uh, yeah. uh, on the I don't think there's anything subtle about Mad Men. No, they're never really. And I love that been. about it. It doesn't yeah, afraid I, I to totally be agree. full of. It embraces like motifs and symbolism, mm-hmm. and yeah, you know. It, like you said something earlier, you're like it's it's something on the nose, which we n- normally would say. In a derogative, but it's not right. It's absolutely it's fine with it being on yeah. the nose. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so the show ends with well, the show goes through with Don kind of ending up at this after a long road trip across the country, finding out about Betty dying, really losing himself again completely. Another breakdown mm-hmm. at this camp, and then I suppose discovering chanting and meditation, mm-hmm. and not so much discovering himself, but and this is a very cynical outlook. We'll talk about the other characters here. I think Don finally gets that his Don character is past the times. Like being at this stupid hippie retreat, he's like he finds a new language to speak. Totally. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. And a new kind of line of, of bull to, to to kind of start yeah. uh to kind of start mining for his career. And you know, his language he was speaking was that of the fifties and that of of all that, and Coca Cola is such a iconic kind of rock and roll brand of that time. But you know, the early seventies, it became. I'd like to. I'd like to buy a world of Coke. Right. And uh, and Don kind of understanding that language now and understanding that emotion authentically. But he's still such a shell of a human. The only way he can interpret that is through making a commercial. Mm-hmm. Totally and making yeah. money off of it. I wish I had that ability. Well, I, yeah, I, I think that shows at the end kind of just – that's a great point. And it's – Don can only <laughs> – there's only so many – there's only so much depth to him yeah. as a person. Clippers are going to clipper know? and Don's going to Don. Yeah, yeah. I mean he yeah. just – there's not – there's whatever amount of humanity there is in him I think is just too far gone in so many ways. Like we were never going to get mm-hmm. – redemption on Don, I don't think. And I think that's what, what the, what the finale flirted with. And then that last, uh, that last scene, I think makes it clear that no, that's not, uh, that's not Don. You're not going to get happy redemption sort of ending for, for Don Draper. He, uh, he's not capable of that. 
Um, and maybe he doesn't deserve it as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I think your assessment is spot on. I really liked it. There was about a 20-minute period after that, after the episode aired, where there was some debate of whether or not he wrote the Coke ad or or, or, or not. And uh, I, I enjoyed that. I very much – I was very strongly in the yes, he definitely wrote the, the Coke ad camp. And I think that camp hit one out very quickly. But it was interesting to see Once the, the difference the girl in the braids came out. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, and even, I so think, Don, before he write, you know, before he chants, if you haven't seen the picture online, he talks to a front desk girl who's dressed very distinctly with pigtails. Right. And if you look in the Coke commercial, there's a girl dressed exactly like that. So yeah. it would lend you to believe. Yeah. And, uh, and, and John Hamm in interviews this week has said, yeah, I, he, wrote the, he wrote the ad. So yeah. um, there's no debate, I don't think. But it was an interesting... Uh, and the guy 30 that, minutes or something where people were debating that. And it, it just kind of, I think, led to uh, what do you see in yourself almost, you know, uh, whether it's a cynical take or an optimistic take, uh, I think probably maybe says a lot about uh, if not yourself, then at least of your your worldview as far as it relates to other people and to these characters and what they represent. Did you see who actually wrote that Coke ad in real life? No. A guy, but this is so crazy. And Weiner's so smart. A guy at McCann Erickson, creative director, wrote that ad. And oh, his wow. name was Bob Baker. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. You got to wonder if he had that in mind the whole way. Yeah, I know. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> Isn't that, <laughs> That's crazy. Um, so, so yeah. So it ends with Don. Kind of, you don't get to see him enjoy it. So let's talk about some of the other ca- characters. Some interesting mm-hmm. ones. Let's start with. We'll start with Roger because it's kind of the most uh, superficial. So Roger ends up with. Someone his age, mm-hmm. after a, a dalliance, a unfortunate dalliance with with a younger woman, huh. and has a, finds a new wife and essentially moves appear, apparently to Canada. <laughs> yep, and is speaking big, French. Big Expos fan, yep. and and leaves half of his will to to uh, to his son with Joan, which is finally acknowledged fully, especially by Joan, mm-hmm. and and. Uh, is goes to live his golden years with his new bride and speaking French and eating lobster and, and being <laughs> Roger. So good for Roger. Congratulations. Yep. Uh, Joan. So we'll go into Joan. So Joan, it looks like Joan is going to ride off into the sunset with a, with a lover of her own. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm so that, glad I didn't in that way, dude. Yeah. I gotta tell you, cause I love Bruce Greenwood. Like uh, he's a, really yeah, it was going to be interesting actor. to see how Joan fit in the Starfleet, but I was, willing to- <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, that character was not a good person. And I, I think, for me at least, I think Joan is the most deserving of, of happiness, of any of those characters. Yeah. Uh, and if she was going to ride off with him, I, I think I would have been disappointed in that. And she, at her core, and the, one of the wonderful, empowering things about that show, a lot of the focus is on Peggy, but, but Joan is really a boss career woman. And that's who she is, and that's her strength, and she's strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, her strength is her strength is a uh, <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but uh, Reggie Miller is doing this podcast with us. <laughs> but uh, so her, you know, and so it's it's it was gr- great to see her really tempted to just kind of live out her life rich and in, in Miami and doing coke yeah. with an old guy and being this guy's uh, trophy bride. It was wonderful to see her choose really to go on a risk and kind of start her own thing again. Once mm-hmm. she secured the finances of her son. Yeah, uh, through Roger, she kind of yeah. is like, I'm going to give this a go. So that That's was true. Great. I hadn't even thought about that. That's a really great point. Yeah. So I make a lot of those. 
I'm just <laughs> <kidding>. <laughs> no. So, okay, so Joan is going to start her own essentially production company, I guess. Yeah. Alway and Harris, which is really funny. That's a great But she I offers uh, a, a partnership to Peggy. Mm-hmm. So Peggy uh, asks for some time to think about it. She's sort of suffering at McCann Erickson as, as, you know, handling some smaller accounts, not being appreciated like she once was. Right. This is probably the most interesting turn. Uh, she ends up with Stan. They tell each other they love each other very conveniently, and that's great. That's mm-hmm. fine. Fine with that, as cheesy as it was. That's, that's, it was very cheesy but and, and very worked. unlike anything yeah. that that and show rushed. has ever done, but I thought it was great at the same time. Like, it was totally out of character, but uh, I, I, enjoy, I, I thought it was – I thought it was very funny the way and, and and very fitting for Peggy that she did not herself realize that she was in love with this person and probably has been for three or four seasons uh, until she was basically just slapped in the face with it. And so uh, it, it didn't bother me, even though that sort of fairy tale ending is not Mad Men at all. No. But it was good to see Peggy end up happy. But she ends up not going with Joan. We find in the little kind of montage at the <laughs> end, she's working with Stan and, and uh, her name is not on the phone when Joan answers it. Uh, she's working with Stan. Apparently McCann decides she wants to work with her love. It gets a nice little back rub and a forehead kiss and I guess ends up happy, yeah. happily ever after for, for the pegster. Uh, so this is the interesting one I wanted to talk about. So I think one of the funniest kind of darkly comic twist, and I don't know if I've talked to you about this too much, of the show is how they handle the end of Pete Campbell. Mm-hmm. So for a couple reasons. Number one, it's just hysterically cynical and so funny and so real that Pete, who for the most part is the worst person on the show, he's yeah. Yeah. completely out for himself. He cheats on his wife, as everyone does. He's kind of an absentee father until suddenly in season seven he's decent. He borderline rapes a girl in that stairwell scene. Yeah. He is completely reliant on his family's blue blood nature and his you know chosen college he'd gone to. And then Pete just wins. He just ends yeah. up with like the dream offer of a job. He gets his wife back, and you see him getting into his own personal Learjet to go to Kansas City in his like fur coat with his wife looking <laughs> hot. And it's just yeah. like Pete wins. So that's yeah. really just funny. But I wanted to talk about it's so greatness the way they they handled that in that. So Pete, <laughs> Pete is so frustrated. His one frustration and lament the entire show is. He gets this job, I'm sure, due to some family connections. Uh-huh. But once he has the job, no one really cares where he came from, that he's a New York City rich kid, that he went to Dartmouth, class of 53, that he, uh, you know, that, that he, his father was so-and-so and his mother was so-and-so, and they went to these clubs. They grew up going to these country clubs and et cetera, et cetera. No one really cares. And yeah. Pete, his kind of attitude the entire show is, why, does, why did I do all this as a kid if no one's going to care, right? Sure. Uh, it is funny that at the end of season seven on the second to last episode through duck, a guy comes in and is like, I'm looking for an Ivy league douche like you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, That's an elitist. Yeah. And everything Pete was like, Hey guys, I'm, I went to an Ivy league school. I'm a rich kid. Like everyone's right. like, yeah, sit down. Yeah. And then this guy comes in like looking exactly for a Pete and it finally happens for Pete. Like everything yeah. he ever wanted. It's just really funny and cynical the way they they handled that and smart and uh, just a nice little coda on on that character whom I at least came to completely adore for some oh, reason I don't I, know why I'm the same way and there's no reason other than 
uh Carthizer is awesome. fantastic <laughs> yeah. and he's and the character's well written too obviously Winer gets a lot of credit for that and well deserved but uh in in lesser hands that character becomes insufferable like 3 episodes into the series yeah. and you're just dying for him to get fired or written out of or the of the crash show crash in a plane or something yes yeah. i mean uh yeah it, it's a funny it's very funny this is not our friend Jason, who's been on the show a couple of times, he he notes one of the things that he he'll look for in a movie is when a character goes from a good guy to a bad guy or from a bad guy to a good guy when without changing his character mm-hmm. at all. Uh, the one of the examples that I'll give if you've ever, if you've ever seen the the movie Juno, the Jason Bateman character goes from this cool, fun loving dad type that you know just the type of dad that Juno has always wanted to mm-hmm. a real creeper. Yeah. In the span of about 10 minutes and nothing about his character is different in that yeah. 10 minutes. It's just the way in which we now see him and, uh, and, and the circumstances surrounding him, you know, and, and that's, I think that's what happened with, with Pete. Cause there's definitely some maturity there from yeah. season one to season seven. Um, but it's not, it's not tremendous. It's not a tremendous amount of growth. It's just that. It's just enough, and the circumstances surrounding him have changed, and uh, and because of that, you get this character who has been insufferable, and he's pretty much the same guy, but he's still – but you're rooting for him now is the mm-hmm. difference, and that's that's such a remarkable, very rare accomplishment to to pull off. Yeah, no, completely, completely. So so that's kind of our core five of the show any you know anyone we don't really get to find out what happened to harry crane he's just creeping out uh, you assume ken grossgrove is out there you know living the life at his father-in-law's company uh-huh. um who else who else do we have that we really don't find out uh about? we we know meredith is going to land on her feet somewhere yes, she, she always, always does, does. meredith um. and roger another great <laughs> comic pairing that they waited for the end to give so us. funny i so translated funny. that in the pig latin though <laughs> uh i like to think sal became happy somewhere moved moved to uh yeah moved to california yeah, and, and started a career or something sure. and good for him he's uh, a great always, character always love sal uh, i like oh another great roger line was him explaining to was it yeah to joan about uh yeah she's I met her through Megan Draper. She's old enough to be her mother. Actually, it is her mother. The way that's delivered is one of the perfect. Funniest. Perfect. Rogers yeah. so good. Yeah. Uh, so some potential before we go. Top three potential spinoff ideas. If you if there's going to be a better call, Saul. So number one, I think has to be Lou in Tokyo. <laughs> it's just Lou frustrated at not speaking Japanese and his right. show's not going well. And we doesn't like watch, sushi at all. We watch just... him suffer for a season and then he's immediately killed by Godzilla <laughs> at the end of season one. That's just, it's, it's like a, it's like a true detective style limited run. Um, I like it. Okay. Uh, I would, I would love a prequel. Uh, the, uh, the fifties, the, the Sterling Cooper prequel okay. would be, uh, I'd like to see, I'd like to see younger Cooper. I'd like to see memoirs Sterling when he yeah. first starts at the company because that's another great sequence and yeah. in the in the suitcase actually when he talk they find his memoirs and it's magnificent. Uh, Mrs. Blankenship is a Hellcat, yeah. uh, so that that would be one for sure. Uh, um, I think I think I you know the easy one to do seriously is you you tell the story of maybe the late 70s into disco era through Sally. 
<laughs> yeah. You had a theory, we should bring this up, once upon a time mm-hmm. that the main character of the show was actually Sally. Yeah. And I think that that proved not to be completely the case, no, but there did. were early early episodes where it seemed like this could end with a flash forward and here's Sally talking to her therapist about yeah. how messed up her life was as a as a kid. Because a, a lot teenager. of this is Matthew Weiner's parents. Uh-huh. You know, not necessarily Don and Betty being his parents, but that generation being his parents. Right. And so it's, you know, a lot of the, the stuff that works so well is from Sally's perspective because I sure. think it's the most authentic and easiest for him to write uh, from that age group's perspective. And and big shout to to uh, Kiernan Shipka, as, who's just a phenomenal young actress. Absolutely. And, and was so solid from kind of the word go – and uh, great job for them, kind of adapting that character to fit her, and 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 she's I you know we may end up seeing the most out of her going forward. Yeah, that's good. that's a great point. It's so hard to cast uh, good child actors, and they got that one. Right. See Glenn Bishop, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> AKA Austin yeah. Rivers. <laughs> Man, it's so weird every time he shows back up. Uh, such an odd story. It, it was. I'm glad they brought him back. I was yeah, a big MC. fan of that, just even though he's a terrible actor. Yeah. And that character is so creepy. Yeah, um, I just kept waiting for him to be like, I still have your hair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, him hitting on Betty was a wonderful little comic. I don't know if it was intended, but I found it right. really funny. Yeah. So so let's do two things here. Let's do okay. a grade for the series as a whole and a grade okay. for the finale. Okay. For so, me, the series is an A+. Plus. Okay. Um, Same and, for me. And the finale... I'm going to go with like – I'm going to say like an A-. minus. Okay. I didn't think it was the greatest finale and I think part of the reason I feel that way is because the show always did season finale so well mm-hmm. that uh, I think we were – in some ways we were set up for failure. Like if mm-hmm. this wasn't one of the five or six greatest episodes, it was going to be kind of a disappointment. I spent the whole episode being stressed out about how they were going to wrap all this up. Um, before really coming to the realization that like the show is not about wrapping things up, no. at least with Dawn, like that's not what the show has ever been about, and I need to get past that. Um, it just kind of took some time on that front. So I thought it was a very, I thought it was good. I didn't think there was anything. I didn't have any major issues or flaws or anything like that. But I don't think that it's. I don't think the finale is one of the twenty or more best episodes mm-hmm. of the of the show. Okay, I'm going to go A plus for the show, and I'm going to go B plus for the finale. I did like Fair. it. Yeah, didn't love it, but liked it fine. So let's uh, let's do this. I think at some point with when uh, we get Kent back on, some sometime this summer, maybe we may do like a top ten TV shows of mm-hmm. all time. So let's not go full into that, but yeah. let's let's eliminate sitcoms because I think that's a different, that's okay. a totally different medium and a different conversation. Sure. But uh, drama, hour long shows. Where do you think this? Where does wow. Mad Men fall for you? Um. It's probably my favorite. I'm trying to hold mm-hmm. back before I say it's the best. It's definitely okay. my favorite. Sure. Um, the best, uh, gosh, you know, Sopranos was so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, no, it's definitely top, it, at the very least, top three for me. Sure. Mad Men I think is, that's, yeah. And I think I found it. I'm 28. The show's been on. I mean, it's definitely probably the defining show of my 20s. Sure. That in the that's office, maybe, mm-hmm. I think. Office came on when I was 18. It was probably on until I was 26. So, yeah, uh, I'm yeah. I think 
but Mad Men is when I think back in this era of entertainment, I just got lucky in that the ratings aren't that great. But I mean, I watch Mad Men. I've had uh, several girlfriends that have watched Mad Men. I've had you. I've had our friend John Mar. I've had a lot of uh, Emmy and Russ, mm-hmm. uh, Stephen. I have a lot of friends that watch this show. So it's definitely the show I've discussed more. Especially when everyone's watching it live, breaking it yeah. down, what's going to happen? I remember that season five season especially was what's going to happen oh. week to week to week to week to week to week, yeah. and talking about it, texting about it all week between you mm-hmm. and me and John Mark and me and and all that. So uh, it was, it's definitely the show I've thought the most about. So I, I would have to say it's probably sure. my favorite of all time. It's a very literary show. You I can think- really break it down like a book. Yeah, it's it's way up your alley because you are super you're more literary than I am in nature, I think. And uh so I think it's it's I would not say that this is one of my top whatever, three or four favorite shows because I it's not insanely rewatchable from okay. an, like yeah. a, just a straight enjoyment level. Uh a show like Justified, I I just rewatched that all before its final season which was uh just finished a, a couple months ago. I could like I could finish that se- that sixth season and start over with the first season of that mm-hmm. almost immediately. Friday Night Lights is another one that's probably is one of my two or three favorite uh, shows of of all time. As far as just straight best goes, I'm with you. I think uh, it to me it's a one two between between uh, Mad Men and The Sopranos, and I, I I'm not sure which way. I'm not sure which way I would lean on that, but I think I might go. I think I might go Mad Men, and I, I did not feel that way with Breaking Bad. I think Kent thought w- was was on board for Breaking Bad as the greatest show of all time, and and I thought, eh, I think Sopranos is better. Um, I think Mad Men might be better, and I I know this. I I truly believe Mad Men has. If you just took the five best Mad Men episodes and put it up against the five best Sopranos episodes, I think Mad Men wins in a in, in a landslide. Okay, um, just you know personally, mm-hmm. but th- those would be. I think that's the one two for me. And it's definitely a deeper show, whereas Mad mm-hmm. Men. I mean, Sopranos had, uh, you know, five or six characters. It's, it wasn't a one or two character show, right? But Mad Men has like. Thirteen, like like you said, Ginsburg. You oh, you want to talk about Ginsburg's nipple before you? Oh man. Okay, so watching that episode, uh, I watched the show with my wife. This is one of the few uh, darker shows that that my wife and I watch together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so <laughs> I think I've just seen more movies and TV shows where terrible things happen than she has, because that entire episode I was stressed out. For Ginsburg, like I knew something is going to happen with this guy, and uh, <laughs> when he walks into Peggy's office with the box mm-hmm. in hand, I just turn into like Brad Pitt in Seven, and I'm just like, "What's in the box? <laughs> What's in the box?" You know, and I am, I am freaking out and and my wife is just like what what's your deal you know she's like what's what's the matter with you and i'm like something Lindsay, something bad is about to happen like yeah. something's in that box i do, i don't know what's going to happen and uh clearly that was not something that i <laughs> that's not what i expected i didn't expect <laughs> it to be his nipple uh well, it was an hey, antenna found the valve it was a valve yeah it was that was such a weird thing. I would love to know the uh, the creative process on deciding. Yeah, he's going to cut his nipple off. That's what we're that's what Give we're going to do, and it's going to fix him somehow. Yeah. You know, 
Uh, that was a very. Uh, it's so it funny because that character starts off as kind of oddly crazy because uh-huh. he says he's yeah. from Mars or something. Then he becomes endearingly quirky because you're right. like, oh, he just does that because he's a Holocaust survivor as a kid, right. and he, you know, he 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 has these quirks to kind of get around uh, dealing with that. And then, oh, no, no, he's actually crazy. Yeah, he's, he's just a, nuts. Yeah, okay. he's nuts. Yeah. Okay, well, let's good say goodbye <laughs> to him. Let's usher him out right. of the building, literally. Yeah. <laughs> well, great. Well, this was fun. It I was. I enjoyed it. Hopefully it recorded. <laughs> There's no way of knowing. Uh, <laughs> oh, crap. Um, no. No, it did. We're good. So, uh, awesome. we're gonna, so our, I think we could both say safely our weekly recommend is Mad Men. Yes. And uh, for the 30th time between the two of us. Yeah. And I, I think the last season will be on Netflix shortly. I feel oh, like really? I remember that quickly. they closed okay. the deal that it'll be up there pretty quick. So, awesome. Uh, Good. You can run through the whole thing this summer if you have not seen it yet. Fantastic. Well, Brian, this was fun. Thank you for yes, man. It was a your blast. enlightenment on it, on everything. Uh, Good time. We will be back next week uh, for, uh, I believe, some Tomorrowland. That's the plan. We are planning on also doing a Pitch Perfect 2 episode at some point. Right. Uh, just haven't gotten to that yet. We had Mad Max on the calendar, and uh, I'm glad we did that one. But we want to do Pitch Perfect as well. So mm-hmm. make sure if you want some updates on us or when you want to engage us, you follow us on Twitter at MAM underscore podcast uh, or look us up on Facebook. Just search Mad About Movies Podcast on Facebook. You'll find us, I'm sure. Or yep. you can follow either one of us. I'm at Richard Barden, or you can go to richardbarden.com to see anything I've written. I might have a Mad Men piece up hopefully later this week. Brian, nice. where might I find you? You can find me on Twitter at bgill 12 You can find my writing on the Mad About Movies podcast website. And we're really encouraged by the uh, social media. You know, we've always been talking to people on our private Twitter handles, but uh, every you know everyone told us we had to get one for the show, and we were reluctant because we don't like managing those type of things. Right. But it's been really fun. I think a lot more people have engaged us and, and felt like they weren't bothering us to tweet us at that handle or talk to us on Facebook. Uh, and you can always email the show at madaboutmoviespodcast at gmail. Dot com or look us up our, on our website, madaboutmoviespodcast.com, and check out the contact link. And that's the best way if you want to kind of long-form engage us. Engage us. Uh, we get a lot of emails, but there are three of us, so we try to get to everything. Yeah, uh, We will write you back, we, and we will definitely read it, and uh, most likely we'll write you back. So email us if you have any thoughts. If you have some thoughts on Mad Men that you think we didn't cover or, or criticism or just something you'd like to add, uh, email yeah. us there, and we'd love to talk about it with you further. It breaks definitely. up our day nicely, and we enjoy it. So yeah. until next week, Brian, I guess I feel weird saying this, but I guess we'll see you after the sit. Baby, I hear the blues are calling Tossed salads and scrambled eggs And maybe I seem a bit confused Yeah, maybe, but I got you pegged <laughs> But I don't know what to do With those tossed salads and scrambled eggs They're calling again Scrambled eggs all over my face They're making me ya-ya Again. 